We're touching. We're touching. We are having a good time. <laughs> God put our mouths on our heads for a reason. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Sincast, presented by CinemaSins. All right, everybody, welcome to the Sincast. This is Chris Atkinson from CinemaSins, joined as always by the voice of CinemaSins, Jeremy Scott. Yowza! And from Music Video Sins, Barrett Sher. Yo! <laughs> I didn't really know where I was going with that until I opened my mouth. Nobody really does. Um, but uh, we are, uh, this is being scheduled for Memorial Day, right? That's right. So for Memorial Day, we thought we'd look at some war movies. Yeah. Gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. I'm going to pick a fight. You're going to start a war. I love this job. Ooh, wow. Did your parents have any children that live? Sir, yes, sir. I bet they regret that. I love the smell of napalm in the morning. Sound good? Yes, sir! And uh, talk about some of our favorites and best and, you know, just general discussion about war movies. Basically, it's going to be 30 minutes to talk about small soldiers. (laughs) That's right. That's correct. Which is one of the most underrated war movies ever. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, definitely. Actually, that was one of those early DreamWorks films where... They assemble all this great talent, and they had a really clever idea, and the movie just falls flat in a couple spots, mm-hmm. but I think it's a lot more enjoyable than you probably remember it being. No, I oh, love Small Soldier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, uh, Joe, Joe Dante of Gremlins fame did that one, um, and uh, I have seen more and more over the years people uh, saying that they love that movie because it is more than just, you know, toy soldiers run amok. Right. Because there's a lot of things being actually said in this movie that you know you wouldn't expect from you know some <laughs> PG-13 you know toy soldiers run amok movie. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, um, where do we want to start on this? Well, you know, most of the war movies that that we've seen are probably set from an American perspective. But yeah. you know, there's obviously a lot more breadth to it. And whenever I think about war movies, for whatever reason, my brain goes to something like Braveheart mm-hmm. because. We always talk about the cutting and all that bullshit with action movies. How you, you don't know your location. You don't know the space and stuff like that. And I think Braveheart in particular, and I haven't seen Hacksaw Ridge yet, but Mel Gibson has, has a way of showing you where the position is in the battle, where mm-hmm. there's like big, wide sweeping shots, characters saying we're going to flank from the right side or this yeah. kind of thing, or like go over there, do it, and let the English see you do it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then they come back around and then... Like when you have that sort of thing, you have perspective and everything makes sense. And then you get into the nitty gritty of the fights and all that stuff. That is is great battle editing to me. Braveheart was um, was an outstanding movie. I mean, it still is, I think. Mm-hmm. It's uh, But it's an outstanding movie as far as showing us like it was the first one that I really felt showed horrors of war mm-hmm. that viscerally like we had seen horror of war obviously like a lot of uh, different type of things but like you know the blood splattering on the cameras and you know getting really up in there yeah. and all that and uh done really well and plus it might be one of the last times other than maybe lord of the rings i don't i don't remember if lord of the rings uh had a lot of cgi in their in their battles but that shows you how good it is if it if it if they did have a lot uh but braveheart was all extras oh yeah Oh, yeah. And, and you know, I mean, this is like 
it was 1995, right? Yep. So this is like all brand new. You see these savages who you who you, at this point you know are not truly savages, but it's the great part is the intimidation factor. They're painting their shit all blue. Mm-hmm. They're acting like savages. They're showing off their nut sacks and everything <laughs> to to the English. And then you know they get in there and and they just eviscerate literally this this English uh, battalion that thinks they're going to win easily. And you just see, like, everybody looks around, and William Wallace is just like, (laughs) Yeah. Oh, it's great. I think people forget how we had never seen anything like that in terms of both the scale of the battles, the brutality of the fighting, Mm -hmm. uh, so much actual, you know, in-camera, non-CGI type work that, you know, again, I think everybody's going to be expecting us to go right to Saving Private Ryan Mm -hmm. for the entire podcast. I'm going to take a left turn after this movie. Uh, and go a different direction. But I, I believe Braveheart, it's not as good to me when I watch it, kind of like what you were hinting at, as mm-hmm. it was when it came out. But it's still insanely watchable. It came on, I don't know, a few months ago, mm-hmm. and it was just randomly on. And I I had, this is one of those movies that I've seen probably 30 times, mm-hmm. but I had not seen it in forever. Yeah. It's one of those type of movies. And it came on, and I was like, oh, okay, it's about to get to this scene, and it's about to get... <laughs> there are some really silly things in Braveheart, mm-hmm. like, you know, that don't age well, but um, but I, overall, I sat there and watched the rest of the whole thing. Oh, yeah. yeah. You can't watch that movie without realizing what a great technical director Mel Gibson is. Mm-hmm. You know, he's had his ups and downs in his personal life, and he came back this year with Hacksaw Ridge, uh, which again showcased his ability uh, to cut action in this yeah. just incredible way. You can't deny the man has talent as a director. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's just it's the same kind of thing I get when I watch Dances with Wolves. Mm-hmm. It's just a little too self indulgent at times in terms of how long certain scenes are allowed to play out. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, you trim that sucker by about twenty five minutes, you might have a a better age, better kind of product there yeah well especially at the end for braveheart yeah yeah <laughs> that's his his predilection for torture porn basically yep, yep. yeah signals where we might go in the future exactly there. uh i want to talk about mel gibson some more because uh-huh. i put the patriot on my list of war movies Ooh, to talk about because nice. i think we do these discussions about war movies do not only come from an american perspective uh, which i'm about to do uh, but we always go right to world war ii and vietnam right uh-huh. and, and the movies that kind of covered those eras and there are plenty of great movies there and we'll probably talk about some but the american revolution isn't a war that gets a lot of movie love and it was one of my favorite things in school to learn about in fact i minored in history up until they told me i was going to end up two credits shy and i just said fuck it and so i didn't take an extra class to get those credits but i fucking love the american revolution not just the war part but everything about that culture uh i think this is his best film the director roland emmerich oh yeah i don't know if you've seen the patriot recently no, i mean yeah i, I, I mean you could, you could cause easily we're say looking that. at 2012 and the day after tomorrow independence, independence day, day yeah. and uh Universal Soldier. <laughs> this has, now that's a classic, right? <laughs> yeah. And now we talked about the scale. There's one huge battle at the end of the Patriot, but most of the movie is is about almost guerrilla tactics employed by Mel Gibson and his Frontier Minutemen, what have you, and the way they set up ambushes and fake the British out left and right. And again, uh, it's just Mel Gibson is very engaging. This is, the, in my opinion, peak Gibson. Mm-hmm. Um, he's playing a hero who's troubled and tortured. Um, that axe scene where he axes the guy 22 times after he's already killed him <laughs> uh, and his just brutal fighting style that has made him a legend um, you know but he's fighting a cause that you can get behind he's lost family Heath Ledger's in this movie yep. yeah um, 
a lot of people. Actually, uh, Tommy Tomasino from The Sixth Sense mm. is in this movie. Oh. Um, <clears throat> I really, really enjoy it. I don't think it's perfect. It's a little sugary, mm-hmm. both in some of the mustache-twirling British Jason Isaacs yeah. is the yeah. bad guy. Um, and they, they go a little too far with some of that, but it makes me smile. Every time it's on, I find myself gravitating towards it. Uh, and we just don't see enough movies about this era. I haven't seen this movie since it came out. Wow. Um, it was 2000, I believe, is when this yeah, one came out. I think you're out. right. And um, only thing I really remember about The Patriot, was, it was basically a mini movie theater story because we had a... Um, we had a sneak preview of it at Hollywood 27. Oh, wow. And uh, one, it was one of these things where, like, the limbs kind of popped out or some <laughs> shit happened in the middle of the movie, and it got blurry. And we went down there, and I was, like, I was like sitting there like, eh, it looks like the lens is where it should be and everything. And I got out the lens cleaner and started cleaning that. It just, nothing was working. And then, then I found out that it was just maybe it was like a smudge on the inside of somewhere. It was fucked up. We eventually got it, but kept on starting it up, and it was always blurry no mm-hmm. matter what I did. And Russell, who we've brought up before, uh, who was always the guy who ran those things, basically. Yeah. He's like got everybody in the theater and was the guy who would be up in the front and t- telling everybody. He, uh, he came out because uh, we stopped the movie and he came out and he was like, uh, it's like, yeah, we're up there. We're trying to fix this thing right now. We'll get it up. No problem in the next five minutes or so. So because there were a lot of people like yelling at him and stuff. And he's <laughs> like, and he's like, and uh, and don't worry. And, and you'll uh, in about five minutes, you'll still be able to get to watch your free movie. <laughs> <laughs> I will shut him up. Yeah, just remind him it's free. Well, I would recommend if you're flipping channels and you see the Patriot on, give it another look. Um, I think it's better than you remember it, mm. even though I don't think it's it's great. But it's just sort of like calling the island the best Michael Bay. Movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, and my wife was a really big fan. I think that's how I got turned on to watching it. Uh, whenever I see it, but uh, it's good stuff. It's good. It reminds me. I was watching the, a little bit of Dazed and Confused the other night, and it's 1976 that so they're mm-hmm. they're getting let out for the summer. And the teacher, as they're they're leaving, is like, "Don't forget when you see all this bicentennial stuff." That you're you're celebrating slave owners that didn't want to pay their taxes. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. That reminds me of the Simpsons movie when he gets to Alaska. Oh. Here's a thousand dollars. What about time? But why? <laughs> we give every resident a thousand dollars in exchange for letting the oil companies ravage our state's natural beauty. <laughs> I thought I thought you were about to do the. I wait a minute. <laughs> wait a minute. I didn't tell you how World War Two ended, and everybody stops. We won! Yeah. <laughs> 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 USA! <laughs> um, it's also another great Simpsons one is when uh, um, it's a poo that goes for citizenship. And like they ask him what started oh, the Civil War. It's <laughs> this whole long drawn out thing with all these economic <laughs> and cultural. Just say slavery. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, um, it's funny. We have a we have a a big difference between the heroic uh, war war movies, and then of course Vietnam. I don't I don't know if I can name one Vietnam movie that has any kind of glory to it, right? Well, there, and that's for a reason. No, no it's for a reason. Yeah, yeah. Uh, although there was a there was a movie that came out around the Vietnam era that was all like championing it and everything, and it was a terrible box office dud. Rambo two. It was Rambo two. Okay um uh it came out like in the 
late 60s or early 70s or something like that and uh and and people at that point had already like sort of had enough of vietnam they didn't want to hear anything about it being a good thing yeah right and everything and so then they you know all this all the stuff that started coming out was the critical of the war and everything the coming home uh deer hunter uh, and then, of course, the ones that we really sort of grew up with, Platoon, Full Metal Jacket, mm-hmm. Apocalypse uh, Now, Apocalypse Now um, those those movies, you know, every single one of those is about how and each one has a different aspect of how fucked up that war was. Apocalypse yeah. Now, of course, was sort of it's more of a symbolic journey type of how fucked up Vietnam was. Yeah. You know, uh, it, it gets it gets downright like just the darkest possible that any movie can get as far as yeah, being heart of darkness. Yeah, yeah. Um, platoon is also super dark, but it's more about like you know this is what soldiers yeah. go through, and this is what you know anything goes type of a war will turn you into. Yeah, platoon and uh, casualties of war, which is a Brian De Palma movie, they both have the same kind of uh, mm-hmm. themes in them and everything casualties of war was just a weird movie because michael j fox is trying to play up against sean penn and it's just a yeah a weird mismatch yeah yeah well and he's also not playing the golden boy we're used to right and so yeah that's one of those ones that i'm sort of glad kind of fell off from the pack yeah, <laughs> yeah but- i think this is how we're gonna view war movies going forward though because after world war ii and even something like hacksaw ridge celebrating one story within there there, there hasn't been any definitive wins, mm-hmm. and there likely won't be right, right. Uh, from this right. point forward. Well, no, that's the funny thing is that once we start getting to the Gulf War type stuff, you mm-hmm. know, and you get you have both early '90s and last decade uh, type of stuff. There, you have Three Kings, which is more about you know, it's not only about soldiers trying to make away with Iraqi bullion and all mm-hmm. this other type of stuff. Uh, but there's the you know the casual line by which they say George Bush has asked the 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 asked the with the refugees to rise against Saddam and he's not he doesn't he's not backing them he's not actually giving them any soldiers yep. or anybody or Marines or whoever they are yeah. don't want <laughs> to get a don't want to get people upset there um, but yeah th- Three Kings and Jarhead which uh-huh. was the early 90s Gulf War and everything which was m- mainly about how boring mm-hmm. war is and how you just you're sitting there wanting wanting to do something so bad you know like you'll, you know, it's, that's how how no, yeah and that's why th- I like both of those movies and mm-hmm. I like Jarhead probably more than the most people but Three Kings is territory that I don't think we've even seen since No I agree the way it was shot the way it was written the way it was performed like Man, that's such a good movie. Yeah. You Another know? good Gulf War movie is Courage Under Fire. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And a lot of a lot of, it opens with a tank battle that's actually pretty thrilling, even though it's tragic. Uh, and then most of the war stuff we see is in flashback when people mm-hmm. are sort of being interviewed by Denzel. But that's one of my favorite Denzel roles. He acts the shit out of that movie. That's a movie that I'm always surprised when I go to the IMDb is has got like some six point something rating. I don't get that. Oh, really? Like uh, every time I've watched Courage Under Fire, I've just ended up really loving it. Oh yeah, and I think some people have have just decided they hate Meg Ryan in that role or her accent and her accent and and her trying to act tough, I guess. And so that's never really bothered me. That no, much. I thought she was great. Yeah, I thought she was fine. And uh, and, but I love the way that movie unfolds, man. Me too. It's just I love it. 
and yeah, you get your classic alcoholic Denzel yeah. in there. And but it's the best alcoholic <laughs> yes, it Denzel. Is. And yeah. Scott Glenn is in there. Yeah. He's the reporter trying to chase the story, and then eventually almost bonding with Denzel and just kind of letting him, you know, let it all out one yeah. night at a bar. I love that movie. I don't know why it would be so lowly rated. Yeah, it it, it seems like something that you know would have especially nowadays where people have sort of removed from it. The movie's like 21 years old now. Yeah. Where people would be more removed from it, you know, you start getting that new generation of people watching it. You'd think it'd get back into the sevens or something like that. But people have really always, you know, sort of been eh about that movie, even though it's great, mm -hmm. I think. Um, but yeah, it's one of those, it's Rashomon type of, yeah. uh, a type of storytelling and everything. And, and he's just trying to get the truth as to whether she's a hero or mm -hmm. not. And, um, I just love how everything gets revealed in that movie. It's really well done. It really is. And babyface skinny Matt Damon. Yeah. In oh, fact, yeah. <laughs> in fact, Matt Damon was, uh, I think he had, he had to get that thin for that role. He or did. Cause the character is like shooting between his toes, doing heroin and shit. Yeah. Well, oh, really? Yeah. Well, I mean, this was the year he before. He did it. He like nearly like he was like ninety pounds or something. Oh, geez. It was some crazy. It wasn't ninety, but it was something like it was something crazy. He, he, I don't think he needed to go that far. And then, uh, and then apparently it was great because he got to like uh, eat a whole bunch afterwards. <laughs> yeah, man, that's gonna be the best bulked part. up and everything later <laughs> on. Well, that was the year before Goodwill Hunting. Yeah, Goodwill Hunting and Rainmaker. Uh, Rainmaker oh, yeah, was yeah. sort of a sort of a little prelude to Matt yep. Damon. Another movie I think is better than its reputation. Yeah, it's a it's a sweet slow little courtroom story, mm -hmm. but I find it really watchable. Yeah, me too. You got some John Voight scenery chew in there virginia madsen nervous mm -hmm, smoker mm -hmm. lady oh yeah um <laughs> danny devito being danny devito john void is hilarious in that movie he really is he's so, i mean he's so evil but he's hilarious <laughs> just he's so funny and, and danny love... glover is the judge and he keeps cutting rudy so much slack throughout the whole movie like yeah. I, in a real courtroom in the real world they would never have gotten that lawsuit as far as they did because he kind of bent a bunch of rules <laughs> to let rudy have a chance yeah um, but, uh, you know, Damon obviously also was in Saving Private Ryan. Yeah. There's, there's a couple of weird things too. Saving Private Ryan, uh, Matt Damon was basically on press junkets and stuff for Goodwill Hunting while all the other people like Vin Diesel yeah. and Edward Burns and all these guys were actually doing real military, well, you know, as, as much real military Celebrity training. Military yeah, training, yeah, exactly. The type of thing that Ben Stiller makes fun of in <laughs> Tropic Thunder. Um, but, uh, but like. He was off doing all they, they they wanted him to have this real animosity towards Damon mm -hmm. during the whole movie. I think it's a really effective type of thing because he's off like, you know, partying and doing Oscars <laughs> and stuff like that yeah. and everything. And so they're like, we're really going to have to go find this asshole. You know, <laughs> um, they kind of did that with uh, Brian De Palma kind of did that in Casualties of War with Michael J. Fox and Sean Penn. He kind of wanted to keep them separate mm. from each other and everything and didn't want them to bond at all. So he sort of sh shielded Penn and all the rest from him. fascinating. No, I mean, it's yeah. a good uh, the, these things that we talk about like that and with the antagonism with Kubrick and and The Shining with uh, with Shelley Duvall, you, you get the mm, results. Yep. And even though it's traumatic, probably, mm -hmm. uh, I'm sure it was less traumatic for Damon. I mean, Matt Damon was in that movie for what, like ten minutes or yeah, something like it was that. A very small amount of time. Yeah, just um, at the very end, right? Yeah, it's it, they. It, he's not in it for until like they finally kind of just stumble upon him. Yeah, and then yeah, there's that one big final battle at the end. 
And then we got Spielberg, though, with his... He can't, he can't resist that saccharine ending tack on where we cut back to the old yeah. man. Oh, old man Damon? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, just, I mean, Saving Private Ryan is famous and beloved for a reason. Mm-hmm. And I would argue largely it's that opening Normandy Beach scene, which, just like we were saying about Braveheart, nobody had ever captured that the way he did in that film. Yeah. Plenty had tried to make war tense, um, and I, I, I mentioned this in a previous podcast. I'm fascinated that uh, Chris Nolan is going so far out of his way with his Dunkirk movie to not emulate the style of Saving Private Ryan mm-hmm. or even the bloodiness or brutality of war. He wants to highlight the anxiety. Yeah. Dunkirk, another movie worth mentioning here. It's about war, and it's about a war that doesn't get enough movies made about mm-hmm. it. The Great War, World War One, mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> as I used to call it back in the day. That's right. <laughs> um, and it's, it just gets glossed over entirely in my opinion, in American history classes, by the enormity of World War II. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, a lot of that has to do with who we were fighting and what, what Hitler was doing, and that wasn't really going on in World War I. Um, but so many deaths, so mm-hmm. many people died in World War I. Um, and so it, I, I'm sure for ancestors of those soldiers, it's nice to see a movie that's going to be made to sort of honor their sacrifice well they'll also get wonder woman too well that's true that's true yep. that, that will be, <laughs> that'll be primarily about world war one it's funny that the yeah the stuff about there's world war one man when you hear about the type of stuff that was going on back then i mean it's just nothing but like instant loss of life as soon as you like basically join join the army and everything yeah it's like how how bad it was like it was it was i believe and i'm no historian but like if you ever listen to like like the dan carlin uh podcast where he talks about it he has a, a big american history series he comes out with a podcast like every once every six weeks or so even longer sometimes hmm. it's well researched um things but man the 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 germans had like all these like uh, crazy weapons and everything, but that was still like a, a war of attrition type of mm-hmm. thing. They they didn't have very many. They were everybody was losing so many soldiers that yeah. nobody could advance yeah. anywhere. It was one of those type of things where it's like it's just you know just it was so senseless. You know. Yeah. Well, um, um, also the Civil War. Mm-hmm. That's the most costly for American lives. Of course, it was just Americans killing Americans, mm-hmm. so it sort of makes sense. Yeah. Yep. But I remember when I was in school and I learned about that. I think I think there are more U.S. casualties in the Civil War than every other war we've participated in combined. Is that right? I think it was wow. like six hundred thousand. I think it was something like six hundred thousand deaths. Actually, yeah, I guess that makes sense in the Civil War. Um, and of course, uh, we just had Lincoln a few years ago, mm-hmm. which deals with some of the Civil War. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't see a lot of on the field type stuff. Uh, it's not really well, a civil war. And we movie. had we talked about courage under fire. Ed Zwick did glory, yeah, which was uh, was a big and another like really. I would have never known this story if it wasn't for glory. Yeah, uh, maybe if it hadn't been made, you would have heard something way after that. But uh, glory is an outstanding movie. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's great. Yeah, it's um, Denzel's first big chance to shine, mm-hmm. and he hits it out of the park. Oh yeah, yep. I don't think he's an alcoholic in that movie. No, though. no, <laughs> he's not. Not yet. When he goes home. <laughs> well, Very well. No, I, no. this is the first time that I ever seen some sort of depiction of a slave and his bare back before. Oh, and yeah. I just at twelve, I saw this movie at twelve, just being horrified mm-hmm. at it, and just the you know you can't you can't you know bring up glory without that scene where he's getting whipped and he's just looking at Matthew Broderick the whole time mm-hmm. with this intense stare. Like, 
you know, it's just uh, yeah. unbelievable. But uh, that's a great movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, While we're on Spielberg a little bit, let's talk about War Horse. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> yes. That was the angriest I'd ever heard Chris Early on in the podcast is when he described that scene oh where they all go. He's clearly offended by that. <laughs> movie. Oh my god! I just I'll never forget. Just I was like I was I was sitting in the theater just going fucking really. I mean, I was by myself being able to watch this movie, obviously, and I was like I was like fucking kidding me. They they've called a truce to pull the fucking horse out. There's a scene in a movie that they're doing that? Was that a World War One or World War Two movie? Both, isn't it? No, I, I actually can't remember. He horse, galloped across wars? I thought the horse fought in multiple wars. I, no, it was I, World, I, War, World War One. Yeah. Interesting. It doesn't really matter. <laughs> it's a fucking horse. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it, it, like I said, it's, it's the red violin for horses. <laughs> uh, if you've ever seen the red violin, yeah, yeah. great movie. Yep. There was this movie... Um, in the 90s called 20 bucks did you ever mm, see this movie a lot of big people in it hmm. it's one of those vignette movies that basically it just keeps following whoever has possession of this 20 dollar bill and so guy spends it at the gas station or whatever and then we follow the gas station attendant until he spends it and then we follow anyway i don't know why that came into my mind it's not a war movie <laughs> well it's got that same red violin type of thing where oh, that's, you that's see right. something getting passed along to owner mm-hmm. after owner and so on and so forth. Um, well, for World Wars, definitely the big granddaddy is is World War II. And I think you can keep mining stories out of that. And we just saw something really affect. You really liked Hacksaw Ridge, I did. right? Yep. And something like that crazy of a story coming out this late is pretty amazing, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, seems, like, it seems like they are always finding you know, new things about, or it's maybe it's not new. There's always been a story about it, but it hasn't hit a mass appeal yet or whatever. Yeah. I mean, you look at, uh, so Kurt Vonnegut was, was actually a soldier or a Marine or whatever he was. Yeah. Now uh, we're afraid to say yeah, exactly. <laughs> he was fighting in world war two in Dresden, uh, when they firebomb, when the, the allied firebombed. Mm-hmm. And I think he was a prisoner of war or something like that, or he was in there somewhere. So it goes. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And, and he went out and just saw this ravaged nightmare landscape and everything. And this is just one story that really hasn't been brought up again, um, after Slaughterhouse Five and God bless you, Mr. Rosewater a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's how, that's how rich all this stuff is. And then that's before you get the revisionist history stuff like Inglorious Bastards. It's too. when you sort of consider just how many, there's how, how many countries are involved in this, mm-hmm. how many different, I mean, there's even, you know, this war went on so long and and had brought out so many characters that like Rommel, the desert fox, is was somebody who was respected mm-hmm. in all of this type of stuff. Um, but like you know, you you forget about the African desert part of the yeah. World War II. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you yeah. forget all about yeah. that. I mean, there's like <laughs> there's so many different theaters yeah, as yeah, far yeah. as World War II is concerned, and so many different aspects. I mean, so many countries doing so many different things and looking. I don't. I mean. Holy crap! What would have happened if, if the you know the Axis powers had won that? You know. Oh yeah. Of course, you'd have the man in the high the castle. Man in the high castle. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which in which the U.S. is split up into an uh, a J- Japanese West Coast side and mm-hmm. a German East Coast side. Yeah, I haven't seen any of that, but mm-hmm. the concept fascinates me. I've seen five or six episodes of it. 
Um, it's really good. I just haven't. It's storyboarded partially by our buddy Jeremy Simpson. That is correct. Yeah, that, that means it's good. good. Yeah, I'm pretty yeah. sure. I guess so. All right. No, it's a, it's a pretty good show. Speaking of the Japanese, we have Pearl Harbor. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, wow. we do. Remember, okay, what a segue. Pearl Harbor. This is this is exactly why Michael Bay sucks, right? Yep. This is the the epitome of why he sucks because I remember seeing a trailer for Pearl Harbor and going, "That looks a fucking amazing." Uh huh. Because there there's the the great music. You see that bombs eye view and everything, yep. which is going to bring me up into another topic here mm-hmm. in a minute. Uh, but. You see that bomb's eye view going down to the boat and everything. And I was like, man, this looks awesome. But yeah. then uh, it was 2001 and they, and Titanic was a huge hit four years prior. And they felt like we needed to put some sort of love story in this. And love it, triangle. Love triangle oh, yeah. in this. <laughs> where, you know, you know, it's, <laughs> they, <laughs> they bog the whole movie down with that. Oh, totally. Does. I mean, the whole thing. I mean, you could, couldn't you just, couldn't you just not do that? <laughs> hey, man, someone told you not to do that. Someone forgot to tell you not to do that. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, Pearl Harbor, um, the, uh, from here to eternity basically just talks about Pearl Harbor that day. Yeah. That's about it. I mean, it may be a couple more days or whatever, but that's that's how you do fucking, you know, you do something like that. You don't go through this whole, even from here to eternity has some love story in it, but it's not, yeah, yeah. it's not like this just bogged down fucking 30 to 40 minutes of mess. In uh, the um, Ed Helms vacation movie, I'm going to talk about some more later on. Right. <laughs> There's sitting at dinner with his sister and her, her husband, who's a weatherman. This is Chris Hemsworth, by the way, almost steals the movie. And he's like, he's like in the middle, it cuts to the scene in the middle of him telling a story about, now I had a feeling this low pressure system was going to make a beeline over here to Texarkana or whatever. And then his wife interrupts and says, the governor said he saved 2,000 lives with that report. That's how many we lost at Pearl Harbor. So basically, he stopped Pearl Harbor. <laughs> <laughs> it's Leslie Mann that's yeah, playing the role. Yeah. I just love that line. Basically, he stopped Pearl. And it, Ed Helms is so good in this movie because he just gets to react to that yeah. kind of shit and cock his head to the side. Anyway. it uh, the, the whole thing about the Pearl Harbor trailer and we see the bomb's eye view and everything, and is this something we sort of discussed uh, and you know it's sort of discussed with schindler's list the idea of making a war movie that is exciting and we are being entertained by these people's deaths yeah yeah it is a con it is a conflict yeah it is a really it is a difficult thing to sort of rationalize while you're watching a movie saving private ryan's opening 20 minutes is is just uh it's terrifying it's bloody as hell I mean, there's a guy like trying to put his intestines back yeah, into yeah. his. I mean, it's that that type of you know thing, and you're sitting there just like you know with your mouth mm-hmm. dropped because it's so unbelievable, and like at the same time you're sitting there going, "You're there's some part of you that's like, yeah, man, get me in on that, yeah, or you know, sort of like." You know, it's uh, I want to take action right now. Mm-hmm. You know that type of thing. Mm-hmm. And the thing with that is that you know it's going to be somewhat of a positive ending right Mm -hmm. Uh, when it comes to pearl harbor that 
incident did not end well for anybody. Yeah. Except for, you know, the Japanese uh, briefly. Um, <laughs> very but, briefly. Yeah, very briefly. Ended much worse for them than us. No kidding. Yeah. all was said and done. But yeah, I mean, I guess that's why. So who are the war movies geared toward is kind of where you're where you're going with this. Mm-hmm. Is it ex-military folks like uh, Wes Bentley's dad and uh, American Beauty? Yeah, or yeah. is it like <laughs> that, that are just like rah, 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 we'll get out there and fight the bad guy? Or is it... People like us that well, why do we like war movies? Cheering for one side or the other? I guess the I guess it all depends on the tone. I don't think Vietnam movies are made for people mm-hmm. like the Chris Cooper, you know, character or anything. Um, but I I do think that you know movies like Saving Private Ryan are all about you know that patriotism. Man, look at how look at where we were at our when we were at at our lowest. Yeah, because also the Band of Brothers thing came right off of that, mm-hmm. right and. That, I think, is what differentiates it from regular, even World War II movies, is after that huge piece at the beginning and then the huge piece at the end, it's basically them walking around and, and you know, doing Band of Brothers shit. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, Band of Brothers, I think, was made for military members and their families, people who knew people that served over there, so that we could mm-hmm. tell the story of what they went through and how they bonded and there's not as much action as you think there is. And I love Band of Brothers, mm-hmm. by the way. I, if I had that and Saving Private Ryan in front of me, I would watch Band of Brothers every yeah. time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of it has to do with Damien Lewis and yeah. uh, all Ron Livingston. Mm-hmm. The, the acting just pulls you in very well. Um, but yeah, that all came because of Saving Private Ryan and Tom Hanks' experience on that movie. That's why he's an executive producer of Band of Brothers mm-hmm. and Spielberg was as well. Um, I, I had a point. It's gone. I just know that uh, David Schwimmer's in that. Oh yeah, oh yeah, <laughs> very unross like yeah. in uh, Band of Brothers. But it's uh, there's very little action though. You're right; it's about them walking around mm-hmm. and bonding and digging holes in the snow mm-hmm. and losing their feet. Yeah, good times. And when that movie, when that miniseries does get actiony, it's not. It doesn't make you rah rah. Mm-hmm. It's brutal. Like there's that episode early on with the blonde kid who's afraid to shoot his gun uh-huh. and that whole battle that he encounters with uh cap oh i said damian lewis what's his real name the he's actor's damian lewis. lewis i was th- i was thinking his name was lewis in the show but it's winters anyway so winters comes up on the hill and he's shooting and it's shot very staticky mm. and with lots of like lens flares and it's not supposed to be feeling raw raw mm. you're supposed to be scared and especially in those two snowy winter forest episodes where people are literally getting their torsos blown off by the artillery shells um so maybe he learned after schindler's list and saving private ryan how to tow that line better yeah i don't know Hmm. i mean it 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 is it is i think when you get into tv miniseries type of things you start exploring characters a lot more and you you know you get to feel i i think i think when in a movie you're they're trying to get you in get you excited about it and out whereas a band of brothers or something it's like let's take time to tell our story we're not here Mm. to get you know we're not here for people's date night or whatever it is that they're trying to do and that's why i think a lot as an aside those marvel netflix series are better than most of the movies that they Mm. come out with is because you get a sort of spend time with the characters and understand their motivations and everything um, as opposed to just lots of punching yeah yeah exactly <laughs> do you know that we're there's at least two or three podcast listeners that are mad that we keep ragging on the avengers movies oh, yeah? their cutting style <laughs> like like one guy even wrote uh i think it was on twitter like what is your problem you guys have some sort of a 
Anyway, he was accusing us of having some kind of anti-Marvel, anti-Avengers bias. Isn't that funny that you can never really say anything without there being a second reason, second hidden reason that you're thinking you're saying that like i can't just hate the action and avengers <laughs> i must be some sort of dc you know fanboy yeah. <laughs> or something which i am totally not yes, I, hate definitely not. I think their movies are worse yes. but mm-hmm. that doesn't make me a marvel fanboy either yeah. but um either way it doesn't really matter um eastwood has come out with a few of these uh i'm glad that you brought that up because i was going to pose the question has he made the most war movies of any other director there were at least three that immediately come to mind. Letters well, he can, in, yeah, in one year, he came out with Flags of Our Fathers and Letters from Iwo Jima. I was going to bring up Letters from Iwo Jima because that is a different perspective mm-hmm. that we had never really seen before. Agreed. This is from the Japanese side, mm-hmm. where Flags of Our Fathers was the big patriotic yep. type of, you know, American, you know, uh, it, uh, I think. I, if, if I I don't remember Flags of Our Fathers as much as I remember Letters from Iwo Jima, but I think that was all about the iconic photograph. It was. And what they decided to portray mm-hmm. and everything. But Letters from Iwo Jima, that movie is outstanding. Yep. And I don't know if people really bring that movie up today, but it's re- it's one of Eastwood's best, actually. Probably so, yeah. Because uh, I don't think we had ever seen, we may, maybe we did, we just hadn't seen it in a long time, but seeing it from the Japanese perspective, because... It's easy when, you know, to pick sides, obviously, who's who's the evil ones in this and whatever. Remember that there's always another side and they're doing what they think is right. Mm. Which is very cool that he went to the trouble to do that. mm -hmm. And I remember him at the time saying that this is something that we don't get to see from an American perspective. You always see the flags of our father's side. Mm -hmm. I'm going to, you know, give you this other perspective. And it doesn't necessarily villainize or heroicize either side. Yeah. Yeah. especially in letters for Iwo Jima Iwo Jima um and Watanabe is fantastic yes he is he's really really terrific that's a good movie and Eastwood has also then made American Sniper American Sniper yes so maybe Spielberg has made as many war movies Mm. but I can't think of anybody else that I I have to believe if you're actually passionate about the movies you're making it takes a lot out of you to make a a movie like Saving Private Ryan Mm -hmm. and it's not a place you really want to go back to a bunch right I I still do want to know how Spielberg in that one little time frame did Lost World Amistad and Saving Private Ryan three movies all in one year now I'm sure Lost World was like well in the can Mm -hmm. but he still had to do Amistad and then Saving Private Ryan talk about two heavy back-to-back movies to do yeah you know to do Amistad and then Saving Private Ryan but Amistad Uh, was was uh, much more self-contained right yeah yeah yeah. it wasn't it wasn't yeah I mean it was but it's still insane that he yeah yeah to do all that all in once he had taken a bit of a break because after Jurassic Park and Schindler's List it was like a four-year hiatus there but um but but he just kept coming out with stuff Mm -hmm. in that in that little period of time but uh, yeah, American Sniper is another sort of unique look at uh, um, war where we're not really looking at a particular battle or anything like that. Mm. We're just looking at his, his you're just looking at one character and the effects of war on him and really the uh, the whole effect of PTSD yeah. on a lot of a lot of soldiers and stuff, which is, you know, obviously a controversial subject. Yeah, I mean it's a people. huge problem. It shouldn't be, but yeah. it's a it's a controversial subject. Some people don't think it even exists. Oh, really? Yep. Those people are crazy. Yeah, absolutely. There, well, you know, because there was a I, there was a there's a, like a George Carlin was talking about how 
um, saying things as uh, politically incorrect gets you uh, gets you sort of to see how how bad it might be. We used to call that shell shocked, mm-hmm. and like and like so they, he felt like if you just continued calling it shell shocked, people would there would be more people who would be sympathetic to the cause. But once you become politically correct and call it post traumatic stress disorder, huh. people start saying, "Oh, well, that's not that's a made up oh, thing." God. Interesting, but. Anyway, um, we play a lot of semantic games in this country. Yes, we do. <laughs> Jesus, it's so petty. It's so petty. Well, we should talk about Vietnam. Okay. Uh, what is your favorite Vietnam War movie? That one quick section in Forrest Gump. <laughs> <laughs> ah, something bit me. <laughs> something jumped up and bit me on the box. <laughs> uh, no. What's my favorite? Hmm. See, again, I'm uncomfortable even picking a favorite Vietnam War movie mm-hmm. just because everything about that war was so terrible. I know. Uh, but probably Full Metal Jacket. I believe that movie, more than any other piece of anything in the media, has defined what a drill sergeant is to yeah. Americans, mm-hmm. right? Like, to the point where that is, there's no other drill sergeant to parody. No. It's just it's just Arlie <laughs> Emery, right? Ermy? Yeah, Arlie Ermy. Uh-huh. Arlie Ermy. Yeah. Uh, now, it, are you? I'm sorry. Are uh, you a fan of the the second part of Full Metal Jacket? Eh, I don't really like a lot of these Vietnam War movies. I don't get into Apocalypse Now very much. I don't really care for Platoon all that mm-hmm. much. I can respect each film for what it's trying to do, but I don't feel one way or the other about the second half of Full Metal Jacket. I, okay. I've always thought that was an underrated part of Full Metal Jacket mm-hmm. was the second second half. It's not nearly as good as the first half. And that's why a lot of people just don't like the second. Yeah, and it's it's two separate movies. It is. Uh, the first half has all pretty much all the things that they had to say right there. The mm-hmm. second half is, uh, you know, it, it's it's Matthew Modine is basically the main character at that point. Yeah, and he's got it. The whole thing is his struggle about uh, peace and war and all that because yep. he's got that. You know, he's got the peace symbol on his helmet and the born to kill on the other side <laughs> and. And uh, and the the one guy like you know dresses him down about it. He's like, "What is that? What is that? You know, you have a peace sign on one, and you have a born to kill. What is that?" Yeah. And um, and he's like, "It's not showing the duality anymore, yeah. sir." <laughs> <laughs> I don't think, and everybody knows how much I love Stanley Kubrick, but I don't think I don't think it has nearly as much to say as the first part. And I think he just gets bogged down. It's very good. It's probably one of the best war movie vietnam war movies mm-hmm. but it's it's it looks like a war movie yeah um there's a few shots so we were talking about this a while ago there's a few shots of like the actual director going behind a camera crew that's mm-hmm. going down the line of the of the uh the the grunts basically and that's brilliant and you yeah, can yeah. see little shots there's there's them in that hallway uh waiting for you and you see the pff, people run across and everything that's very cool but the rest of it is just set like a war movie yeah the, um, fir- the first half of it really does say everything it wants to say mm-hmm. like it, it really honestly could have been that movie because they cut they cut a little bit out of that that private pile story mm-hmm. because at one point he is he's absolutely like changed forever psy- psychologically because of this but then he starts being awesome yeah at yeah. everything and then he snaps yeah and everything and that really kind of showed that's that was the message of that movie was that it just keeps driving into you that you have to 
you have to be this way, be this way. And oh, oh by the way, we're going to give you guns and you're going to be able to. Yeah. You know, and what's know. crazy, it says nothing about the conflict. I mean, every once in a while, the, 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 the troops are talking about it within their ranks and everything, but it doesn't really talk about Vietnam. It talks no. about the military. Well, there's and a, that's why it's so fascinating. This is, this is sort of what the theme of that whole thing is. Narlie Ermey basically champions Lee Harvey Oswald. Mm-hmm. He's yeah. like, <laughs> he, he's like, uh, um, who who's the one who shot J.F. Kennedy? And it's like uh, John F. Kennedy is uh, it's a Marine, sir. Lee Harvey Oswald <laughs> and everything. That's right. Lee Harvey Oswald took three. Sh- like just like yeah. is like happy about it. Like yeah. look at that great shooting yeah. that Marine did. <laughs> um, all he cares about. Yeah, and and so yeah, the uh, man looking at the sort of the deconstruction of that Vincent D'Onofrio character, just so mm-hmm. great, and it's so terrifying by mm-hmm. the end of it. I think the best Full Metal Jacket parody is in Kids in the Hall Bring Candy. Oh, yeah. That dad realizes he's gay. Oh, yeah. Has that flashback to his military days, <laughs> and his boss says, his commanding officer says, you go over there and fuck them. We'll stay here and masturbate. Yeah. <laughs> and he runs off, and he's wearing assless chaps yes. and his camo pants. And he like, <laughs> sees ass as he's running over there to fuck the bad guy. Yeah. Um... But yeah, um, Vietnam movies, yeah, by as a rule, all of them have that fucked up. The the Deer Hunter, which isn't really about Vietnam, mm-hmm. uh, you don't. I mean, you don't really see what's going on in Vietnam. It's all about the effects of Vietnam on somebody's character. Yeah, Christopher Walken's character having been in a POW camp and and really just got to the point of just having no fear anymore. Talk about a terrifying character when he's. When you see his bandaged head and he's fucking playing Russian yeah. roulette again, and he's, he's the eyes are dead mm-hmm. already. Yeah, man. you got you got De Niro coming back and saying, "Man, come on, you gotta get back home yep. and all that." And it's just nope. Yeah, he, he's lost. Yeah. He's lost. Yeah. Um. So and in Apocalypse Now, of course, is just all about how you know Colonel Kurtz basically just uh he's he's basically said, you know what, this war is fucked up. And I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna just camp out here in this little, this jungle and everything, mm-hmm. and create my own society. And and well, I, I have trouble. I've seen it many, many times. I have trouble explaining what the point is of Apocalypse Now. It's it's just shows. It really is just the deterioration of a character, basically. But it's he's. A, but you only see it's it's about colonel kurtz but mm-hmm. he's only in there for the the very last second mm-hmm. of the movie it's, it's about how martin sheen is looking at him and getting respect for this guy and like how could this guy this is the best of the best uh-huh. how could he be changed by this war and that's basically what it comes down but along to. the way you've got this terrific war movie though mm-hmm. i mean you've got the the shots in this of course the iconic you know copters uh coming in with ride of the valkyries um and then Robert Duvall coming yeah. out. And like, I love the smell of napalm in the morning. Yeah. And going out and fucking surfing in the, yeah. <laughs> in the ocean. Charlie, don't surf. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I, I think it's really got a little bit of everything. I don't think it's cohesive enough. No. Well, you can tell that that movie, I mean, had problems getting it's got, shot. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Francis Ford Coppola, like, you know, I mean, that was like three years of, of everybody's life yeah. making that movie. And Martin Sheen almost died. Martin Sheen almost died. Um and uh yeah, I mean it's it it's never I don't think that movie has ever been about just one like basic, you know, oh Marlon Brando, Colonel Kurtz, uh he just created a compound and he went crazy. It's more about, I think, just what our feelings of Vietnam War in general yeah or, you know like 
like everything ultimately coming to no point whatsoever we yeah. just lost a whole bunch of people for no reason so on and so forth that was an early lawrence fishburne uh movie by the way yeah yeah yeah. he's like 18 he was larry wow. fishburne at that point he larry was. fishburne yeah. jr oh yeah i think yeah. yeah i think so i think you're right maybe i just pulled that out of my ass maybe you didn't. feel like there's a junior in we'll there we'll never know we'll never know <laughs> wait we can't, can't look alta it up. Vista. we can't look it up yes alta vista all right i'll see you in nine hours <laughs> but yeah but that isn't that isn't that the thing about the vietnam movies almost every single one of them set out to show you how just awful everything is. it was and uh platoon platoon definitely has got to be the worst playing <laughs> the adagio for strings yeah. while they burn down a village and charlie sheen is yeah. like walking around going the fuck you know i mean again it's it's what you're supposed to feel through charlie sheen's like man this is just a waste yeah and that's a, a, that is probably my favorite vietnam war movie yeah uh, i think that's oliver stone at at his yes of course there's a lot of bullshit in his writing and his directing and everything but like that's him with i think the clearest point of view yeah, and, and that he's done before. I like to believe that that movie and Navy Seals are both in the same universe. <laughs> and Charlie Sheen was in Vietnam and then went on to be in Navy Seals, and then that's he right. goes to Wall Street. That's right. <laughs> well, as, as as mentioned before, Charlie Sheen remembered uh, what he felt when his dad had the heart attack on Apocalypse Now to do the walkthrough scene in Wall Street yeah. when he's getting arrested. Oh my God, that's, that's such a good So him crying is yeah. him thinking of his dad. Um, but yeah, uh, Platoon, of course, you know, it's just, you know, there's a, it's got it's got some other cool things, it, cool things, but it's got uh, that Willem Dafoe-Tom Berenger little rivalry yep. at the beginning. Love it's that. almost like two movies too, Platoon almost. Yeah, yeah. Early Johnny Depp. Oh yeah, I forgot. Oh yeah, he was Larry Depp at the time. He was Larry Depp, Larry <laughs> Depp Junior. Larry, Larry Depp, Depp Junior. You're right. <laughs> I'd never seen Mash. Have you ever seen Mash? Yeah, yeah. yeah. You've never really seen want, Mash? I've never seen Mash. Oh. I love Robert Altman. It's great. I love this every character that's in there, and never saw it. Did you saw the show though? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. You can see where the show took its influence, but I, I never thought the show was as good as the movie. Um, really? A, Isn't the common sentiment the other way around? Probably. Wow. I do hear that like it's an it's an incredible movie though. I yeah, love it. although there's a very loose uh uh feeling on Mash. Um uh Mash uh is uh, I don't know. It's I mean, I feel like do we really want to consider that a war movie? Well, I guess we could. Is the movie actually set in the Korean it, War? It's yeah. set in the Korean yeah. War. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of movies though that I sit there and I, do we consider it war movie? Does it have to actually have war in it to mm-hmm. be a war movie? Yeah, yeah. If it's set during that time, I guess if you're if you're a, you know, uh, a medical unit for soldiers and everything, yeah, you guess you guess it is. But mm-hmm. good movie, but it's you know, it's very episodic. This is why it became a TV show oh, yeah. and everything and uh there's I mean there's a whole scene where they where they make a football team and they want to beat the the other the other group of mash or another group of military people or uh-huh. whatever there's that there's them playing golf and like elliot gould and donald sutherland are like playing they they take this one job so they can go and play golf <laughs> and you know it's just it's stuff it's it's silly stuff like that but of course it's got its serious moments and there's a um, one moment of course this is extremely altman-esque there's a guy in the movie who is afraid that he's actually gay like Mm -hmm. he's 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 like had all these women but now he's got he's depressed because he thinks he might be gay so donald sutherland 
like sets up a funeral for him where they're going to give him the the black pill or whatever and he's going to die and everything of course it's not, it's not yeah, yeah. Really and they kill. sing suicide is painless to him they do <laughs> the tv show's theme song has lyrics they do know that. suicide is painless oh is that the those are the lyrics yeah. of the song? it brings on many changes and i can take or leave it if i please so yeah, they ha- there's this big funeral scene and everything, but they shoot it in such a way that it looks like the Last Supper and everything oh, like yeah, that. Yeah. So it's it's very Altman esque <laughs> and everything. Um, but there's a lot of like, of course, really dry humor in it and mm-hmm. everything. And um, I uh, I was in the play in high school. Oh, really? Yeah, the play man has some just lines in it that you're like, you didn't even know you were saying a joke. Oh, know, yeah. because that's how dry it is. <laughs> You know, like uh, there's a part in there where there's a character named Hojon in there and Hojon says something and one of the one of the women says, oh, they'll like you in 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 that uh, in that tent over there, Hojon. They really like spirits. And the spirits means they like drinking. Oh. And, you, you know, like it was just one of those type <laughs> of things. I would have never known if somebody <laughs> hadn't told me. But, yeah, it's an interesting movie. I, I, I don't know. I don't. Yeah, it's really good. I just don't know if I would recommend it. It's hmm. one of those. It's it's very for its time and yeah, very dry. But it's got some it's got some good moments in it. Duvall's in that too. Oh yeah, yeah, nice. All right, so we're gonna uh, do this thing that we've been doing the past uh, the last we did last started last week with the Sincast Movie Club. You can find me in the club. You should join our club. You and your friend. Now, if you're not going to take this seriously, perhaps we should disband the club now. <laughs> <laughs> I love being a part of things. Uh, last week we did the the comedies, yeah, and everything, uh, and and this week, uh, perfect for the war movies we just did. We're going to talk about vacation movies. Hey, listen, if you're in America right now today, if you're listening on Monday, uh, May 29th, it's Memorial Day. If you're anywhere else in the world, it's Monday. That's right. <laughs> That's correct. So we're going to talk about vacations that Americans are taking right now. Yeah. Well, it's getting to be that summer season. I think that's a worldwide vacation kind of time of year. Yeah, absolutely. I think so. Except for the, I don't know anything about the lower hemisphere. I don't, I think they're exact opposite from us. That's right. I mean, the toilets go. I'm serious though. I think like Brazil has winter when we have summer and whatnot. Yeah. Yeah. So happy winter break, Brazil. (laughs) Still going on vacation in the winter. That was the funny thing, also in The Simpsons, where they go to Australia and they and the they find and Homer finds the you know the toilets go the a different way or whatever, and uh, and then like so they go to the American embassy and they're like oh these flush like American toilets here and they've got like the, the contraptions that make the toilet go down <laughs> and he sees the water going down he's like sweet land of here. <laughs> <laughs> Nice. Oh, what a good show. Okay, so we're breaking these down a little bit, right? Like, yes. To, to allow us to each give you more than one pick mm-hmm. for this movie club thing. Uh, I believe, Barrett, you broke it down in terms of vacation movies that are great, that are underrated. Yep. What was the middle one? Uh, it was uh, recommended. Recommend, uh, full-on recommend. Yeah, exactly. Our, our, our personal favorite, ones that are great regardless, and then ones that are underrated. All right, mm-hmm. good, good. Yeah. I like that. So well, who wants to go first? I'll go. Um... So uh, as far as great, we just we just uh, discussed, uh, you know, we just got through with our brackets and Children of Men emerge victorious. Uh, Alfonso Cuaron obviously has made a lot of great movies. Oh, yep. you bastard. And uh, I had this one written down. What? E2 Mama Tambien? <laughs> I did. Yeah. Good call. Uh, which obviously like um, 
you know, I think the last time we brought up E2 Mama Tambien, somebody was like, oh, I want to hear a recording of Chris saying that. It's so hilarious. And I'm like, <laughs> I guess I'm saying it wrong. But, uh, <laughs> Mama Tambien. No, you're saying it right. E2 Mama Tambien. That's right. Um, and your mama too. That's right. And it's got uh, Gail Garcia Bernal as another one I'm probably fucking up. And, <laughs> you know, he's and so great. And Diego and, Luna. And Diego Luna. And, uh, and it's, you know, it's a, it's a road movie and mm-hmm. you, they've brought this, this one woman who, is is old, way older than them but mm-hmm. like is really attractive and everything but she wants to go along on this trip and of course the movie ends up being like you know this is their adventures and everything they start they fall in love with that with this girl yep. who's just kind of like hey man free love yep. man it's not it's not no feelings don't worry about it you know i'm here to give you an experience this is what you wanted but there is of course more to this whole love story. Yep. And uh, I don't want to ruin that, but uh but Itu Mama Tambien is a great movie. Yeah, uh, it's beautiful too. Yes, it is. So, uh if you want to get your Alfonso Cuarón fix, that guy is uh, just on a different level. So he had done Great Expectations in 98. He did. And he did a little princess earlier before that, mm-hmm. right? Yep. And then this was in between that and Harry Potter. Harry Potter. Yeah, yeah, the Prisoner yeah. of Azkaban, yeah. right? Yeah, this was this was really surprising. Um, I had I knew nothing about this movie, and one of like an ex girlfriend brought it over and just said, you know, let's watch this. I you heard still hang out with your ex girlfriends? Yeah, it was it was Tuesday. It was oh. last Tuesday. <laughs> uh, no, uh, this was a long long time ago, but uh, they brought it over, and I was like, wow, all right. And I was just engrossed the whole yeah. time. I mean, this is it's subtitled, and it's it's got uh, it's through what is it like a Brazilian landscape or what is it? Uh, what is the the drive? I, I can't remember. I it South America, or maybe it's Mexican. I felt like it was Mexico, but now I'm just a racist because I don't know. It is Mexico. It's it's through it's yeah. It's through this nice, beautiful Mexican landscape and little stops along the way, and it's just just really really engrossing all the way through. That's an awesome pick. Yeah, yeah. good call. Yeah. Um. Well, I'm glad you went with what I'm I would dub a non traditional vacation movie. It's mm-hmm. more of a trip or a road trip or whatever. Um. Because for my favorite, I'm going to go with Almost Famous. Oh, yeah. Because he's essentially leaving home for, what, a few weeks to follow this rock band and their groupies all around the country. And you get to see the different cities he goes to and the experience he has. And I've raved about this movie enough. I don't need to do it too much more in this setting. Uh, but it's one of the best coming-of-age stories I think I've ever seen. And represents the pinnacle of what Cameron Crowe can do, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as a great vacation movie mm-hmm. i'm gonna surprise you a little here with a talented mr ripley oh yeah because <laughs> yeah, again nice. he is on vacation this entire movie and it's being funded by jude law's dad and he's living the life he's never had a chance to live before it just so happens to not be a comedy it's not really a fun movie mm-hmm. more of a murder not even a murder mystery there's no mystery about who's doing the murders mm-hmm. um but will he get away with it and how um Maybe I just was trying too hard to think out of the box this time. No, this no, is, no, no, no. That absolutely. movie, that movie, it really sort of, even though it's this weird psychological thriller type of movie and everything, the landscapes and mm-hmm. the and the just the the sun and all the stuff that they're doing and everything really kind of gives you the uh, feeling of being on vacation with these guys. Yeah, like you're taking a European vacation. With oh yeah, it's yeah. gorgeous. There's uh, Anthony Minghella. Who did this yeah. movie? Yeah. Um, and it's just, it's just really, really like e- even during the slow mar- moments where they're just like singing in a bar yeah. or something like that. There's something really, I don't know. It's really something kind of 
I don't know, a relaxing about it. Or it's whatever. very European. Yeah, I can't, I can't get it. Apparently, Europeans have this wonderful ability to to gear down, hmm. and really, your wife probably experienced this in Italy. Yeah, like to where you can take like a four hour dinner or yeah. like a two hour lunch, and you don't start your day by jumping into traffic. I'm sure a lot of Europeans do, and I'm generalizing, but in America, it's go 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 go, and then. You fall asleep and then you get back up and you fucking do it again. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You scarf down For your fifty years. <laughs> yeah, you eat like a microwave burrito and then you're fucking off on your way again. And uh, that's the feeling that I get from movies like Talented R- Mr. Ripley, of like this European atmosphere, this relaxed atmosphere. Mm. I love that stuff. Come, let's take a relaxed attitude towards work and watch the baseball match. <laughs> <laughs> the Nye Mets are my but favorite squadron. Just think about all those different things that they do in the movie. They're just lying out on a beach. They get on a boat and just kind of yep. like, ah, you know, sailing. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> how's and, the beeping, Tom? Yeah, how's the beeping? <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, it, it reminds me of uh, one that I wrote down as an honorable mention, Stealing Beauty, which is <sighs> that is an Italian yep. countryside um stealing beauty is i don't know what to think of it as a movie on the whole but it really does kind of get you just it's relaxing to watch it's all atmosphere it, mm-hmm. there's really nothing besides there this entire village is interested in this girl losing her virginity that's correct <laughs> that's correct which it's fine i guess but it's like seriously and yeah and it's this half as she's searching for her her father and stuff like that it's a beautiful movie, though. Man. Yes, it is. Uh, start to finish, you'll you'll become enraptured in it, but it's not narratively well, it's, it's, exciting. It's interesting when they when these movies go to Italy and everything. It always seems like that. Like the movie may not even be good, but mm-hmm. you can just you can just kind of like that was the way it was for me in A Walk in the Clouds, which was yeah. not a great movie at all. Mm-hmm. But uh, but I you know just him going to the Keanu Reeves canoe going out to the, the Italian countryside falling in love with this woman who's pregnant and, mm-hmm. and everything. But there's like the, the moment where they're like crushing the grapes with their, you yep. know, with their feet and everything. It's like, get you into that whole like culture and vibe and everything. And it's like, well, this movie's not great, but I'm kind of getting into it. No. And that happened. That happened with Vicky Cristina Barcelona. too. <laughs> what is the fucking point of that movie? I don't know. There is no point to that movie. Mm-hmm. It's the fact that Woody Allen wanted to film one of a Woody Allen film in another part of Europe. Yep. And he gets gorgeous actors all together. They all fuck each other. That's true. That's true. <laughs> then they start filming the movie. That's true. Actually, you know what? That's exactly what happens because when Penelope Cruz shows up, then the movie starts being a movie. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that's about it. Like she's got this, you know, firebrand part in there, and the rest of the movie just collapses under her because she's so much better than everybody mm-hmm. else. And the rest of it is just, just, just porn. Just. Uh, nature porn or whatever. It's not porn porn. It's, right, it's, right, right. it's other porn. All right. A new year, time for new growth. Grow your education and skills with Herzing University. Our online behavioral health programs fit your schedule and time. From an eight-month diploma program in health and human services to a 36-month bachelor's in psychology. Grow your behavioral health career with us wherever you are in your education. Your future starts now at Herzing University. Visit us online at herzing.edu or text HEALTH to 85109. Online at herzing.edu or text HEALTH to 85109. Well, what's your actual pick? In oh, my great pick uh, for a vacation, uh, also kind of a subversive vacation movie, is Little Miss Sunshine. Oh, oh good okay. one. And I love when just things organically come together. So, like, not 
a road trip movie. We're going to get into a bus and we're going to go across and shenanigans will ensue. This is very organic. It's like the Steve Carell character has to be in his position to, to, to come on board. Uh, the Paul Dano character has to be in his position. The grandpa. Um, just everybody kind of comes together to, to make this trip. And you see these personalities start to just take up for each other. And that's the kind of shit that I love is that like, okay, yeah, we're, we all hate each other, but at the beginning, but, uh, you know, we're going to, we're going to do this in solidarity for this one common purpose in this case to get Abigail Breslin to her uh, beauty pageant or whatever it is. And as we've talked about before, it's got a terrifically satisfying ending, really crazy. The whole thing is crazy. Alan Arkin, uh, I don't think is a spoiler to say that he dies like almost halfway through, Mm -hmm. I think. And uh, just just really quirky and really fun. I love when a movie holds a card like this movie does, because a lesser movie would would show you the joke about the kind of dance Grandpa is teaching her way too early and way too often. Yeah. And try and just mine it for repeated sight gags. Mm -hmm. Whereas this movie doesn't even tell you there's a joke coming there. Like you don't find yourself going, I wonder what kind of routine he's teaching her. Because it's, it's played so innocently, yeah. she, and she just doesn't want them to see until it's time to surprise them. Nobody really questions it, and then the, <laughs> everybody in the family and the audience watching the movie gets to be horrified all at the same time oh, when yeah. she starts doing this stripper-type routine yeah. at this like baby beauty pageant. <laughs> and I, again, a, a lesser movie would, would play that all wrong and mishandle that, but this movie had the... The grace to go, I'm just going to stick that in my back pocket and let it pay off 10 times better by just yeah, making it, it a reveal. That's one of those that's one of those endings that's like 10 cup or yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> silver linings playbook, you know, where the 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 actual victory in the end, the happy ending isn't what exactly you would expect it to be. Yep. And I, I really do enjoy those type of things. Yeah. The cool thing about that last scene is that. They allow it to be super cringy because it'll it goes on before they join in. Yeah, that strip tease goes on for a while, and like the the judges are too horrified to even say anything yeah. to mm-hmm. even get up there. Well, and then when they do start to move and say like we got to put a stop to this, Greg Kinnear and and the rest of the family just gets up there and like you know what, fuck it. This is a perfect example of we're all together. Everything was was fucked up at the beginning of this movie mm-hmm. and we're probably still fucked up but we're all together we're right a family now. it's yeah. great it's yeah so yeah fun. no that's a great pick i actually wrote that one down too cool a couple of bastards <laughs> <laughs> so chris um, what is your favorite okay so my favorite is before sunrise oh good pick nice one in fact you could really kind of say the entire trilogy mm-hmm. is they're a, on a trip in each of a, those yeah a vacation movie because ethan hawk is just kind of just sort of like chilling out in Paris. I think. They're in France, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um. They they meet each. The, he and Julie Delpy meet each other on a train, strike up a conversation, in which the whole movie is them talking about all these various topics and everything. And if you're really familiar with Richard Linkletter's, you know, a lot of his work, a lot of this type of stuff happens in his movies. Real conversational dialogue movies. Even Waking Life, which you know is got oh, yeah, that. Yeah. You know, it's a whole. You know. It's got this, I guess, if you want to call it a gimmick of the the rotoscoped animation and everything, but it's really just people having conversations. And mm-hmm. before sunrise is is just it just so engaging in how these two people who are strangers are sitting there just finding this common ground and 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 just having all these you know 
seemingly mundane discussions or whatever, but they all had the, uh, from a great point of view and everything. And, um, and, it, and you, and you realize that this could only be one night that they, uh, that one night that they know each other and that's it. Mm-hmm. And it could be, they, they part ways and never see each other again. Of course, the, they've terrifically shown what has happened over the next, the next two movies over 10, I think it was, I think uh, before uh, Sunset came out 10 years to the, like 10 years exactly after. And then before Midnight came out like nine years or so. Oh, really? Yeah, it's it's nearly, nearly a decade in between each of those movies. Richard Linklater really should get more credit for his dialogue, Mm -hmm. for his scripts. I mean, I, I was telling Chris earlier how much better I liked Dazed and Confused on the second viewing because, or the most recent viewing. He's got such a great gift with this stuff, mm-hmm. and he should be up there with like the Aaron Sorkins and like the even Kevin Smith, the early Kevin Smith, especially the Newton Boys. Yeah, the man, Newton that Boy- script man. is fire. You man. always bring up fucking <laughs> Newton Boys. <laughs> I'm sorry. You always bring it up. I'll yes, stop. that movie sucks. But his other shit is awesome. You're and, right. And I'm just the feeling. Bad News Bears remake is terrible. Don't watch that. Um, but yeah, yeah, he's got a, he's got a narrative flair though, and he, he's got just a way of uh, you undersell that man. You get all caught up with the the directing portion of it and the cinematography and the music, and he don't dialogue gets kind of just overlooked mm-hmm. and this is where it really shines yeah they and uh and i think they might even they might they're either equal to or or even get even better as these movies go along before before yep. sunset's got i mean each one at each each of these movies takes the situation they had not seen each other for 10 years in before sunset mm-hmm. uh and they were just sort of catching up with each other and then by before midnight there's a whole bunch of shit that's yeah. happened between They're these together two then, right? They are. They're married by the time before midnight comes out, and, but they've been married a long time. And it's, and, and before midnight is just one of those, just an just overall super excellent movies yeah. because it's, because yes, it's the third movie in this sort of, you know, walk and talk type of movie, you know, type of series or whatever. But it has a lot to say about marriage and how people, how people start hating each other and, mm. uh, you know, or, you know, at least they, uh, the stuff that was real kinetic in their relationship is gone. Yeah. It's and real every, honest. Yeah. Super honest. I mean, it's the most brutal of those movies. And mm. I do, I do wonder they, they, they end before midnight on a sort of a note where you're like, you're not quite sure. Mm hmm. I mean, who knows? Yeah. It might have another before something. There's nuts. There's only so much time in the day <laughs> before, before one a.m. brunch. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> man, Ethan Hawke has worked with him a ton. Yep. Mm-hmm. Like they must have a real good relationship in real life. I think so. There, I think didn't uh, is Ethan Hawke from Texas as well? I, I think so. Linkletter is. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, he was in the aforementioned Newton Boys, and he was also <laughs> in uh, Boyhood boyhood and he was uh, he had a cameo in that uh what was that uh, fast food nation movie oh which is another link letter kind of misfire oh yeah um even though it's got some really like i think it's got good stuff in it mm-hmm. but he's he's in that briefly but yeah he, he does have a pretty good relationship with link letter it looks like mm-hmm. all right i already gave my favorite last round it was almost famous oh. so you give your favorite no my favorite vacation movie maybe even by far is what about bob 
Oh, uh-huh. that's, a, that's, a, that's such a great answer. <laughs> Vacation from my problems. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you really get everything because you get like a, a send up of at the time, like the fad therapies. Yes. I think we've done a better job of limiting the fad therapies these days and more focus on like, you know, integrative therapy and stuff like that. But at the time, this baby steps are like solve your life. Yes. You know, there's still e- some of that. Seven easy pieces. I'm sure there is. Wasn't there yeah. a book a year or so ago? Like the the purpose or the answer or something? The secret. Oh, the secret. The secret. Which yeah. is, I think, that's old now, I think. It's, it's been like it's, about 10, 12 years. It's been around so. for a while. But right. yeah, but there is always something like that that people just jump on and say, I read this yeah. and it changed my life forever. Yeah. Maybe for you once and like, you know, <laughs> it lasted for a couple of weeks, but you know. But yeah, I mean, he goes through all of these things like this is he's trying to figure out what fad therapy Dr. Marvin is trying on him each time he says, get the fuck away from me. Yeah. And uh, Bill Murray, this is. This is my favorite Bill Murray, like one of my favorite Bill Murrays ever. Mm-hmm. Um, he's just completely unhinged, but he's got this wonderful humanity. Um, I will never understand why he charms the pants off of the psychiatric staff so quickly mm-hmm. in the time it takes for him to turn, like get not even get back to the vacation house. You know what? That's, <laughs> a, that's just a function of making it where Richard Dreyfus is the only asshole in yep. this whole movie. Yeah. So like everybody else gets it. And, and he is a terrific asshole. Oh, yeah. So yeah. good. Oh, he's the best. The, I mean, the slow burn <laughs> is real in that movie. Yeah. And I think it's harder to pull off because you're probably shooting a movie like that over five months mm-hmm. and you've got to play. And you're probably not shooting in order, but you've got to play the right level of frustration for every circumstance so that when we watch it linearly, it's building and building and building and building until he's in the nut house. He should be. He should be frustrated. This is horribly inappropriate. It is. It is. And and no one gets it. Uh, We need more movies like this. Yes. It's sort of the same model that the cable guy would later Uh follow. Because, you, you know, in that movie, Matthew Broderick is the one who knows for a fact this guy is awful. But, oh, well, and I guess Jack Black definitely <laughs> knows. <laughs> but, like, yeah, but, like, everywhere else that he takes him and everything, that that guy, like, wins over his family yeah. and, and over <laughs> Leslie cool? Mann and everything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, it's just, there's always got to, you always got to, you know, isolate the one person yep. who's, like, yelling to the world, this guy isn't right. And everybody else is like, no, man, he's totally cool. The it's good. <laughs> it's got, you know, some of my like most quotable lines of, you know, it was in the trailer even when Bob is at the front door and he's trying to get him out because Good Morning America is coming up. He's like, the, the wife says he's gone. He's like, what, you think he's gone? Yeah. He's never gone. Yeah. And he opens the door. He's like, is this some kind of radical? Yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And then, of course, my favorite I talked about earlier is when he's driving him back from the thing and he just stops the thing and gets his, opens the door and he says, yeah oh it's great it's good stuff that's also a little bit of snl bill murray sneaks in there when he's doing that lounge singer while they're cleaning up the kitchen oh yeah put the turkey back in the refrigerator (laughs) (laughs) all right what is an underrated one okay so i don't know if this really counts but i do know that there's still a lot of people who haven't seen it uh, Wet Hot American Summer. Ooh. Oh, good uh, pick. I think you're right. I think uh, it's still somewhat underseen. There, there's a there's a lot of people who haven't seen it. It's man, there's a lot of people in this who were not famous uh, before this. Um, yeah. Know. 
Uh, Paul Rudd had was still not really famous, I don't think, but he had done a lot of stuff before this. Uh, but Elizabeth Banks, mm-hmm. and you have a lot of just like you know go to comedy actors in here. Uh, there's Christopher Maloney's in this. Uh, is Michael Ian Black in it? Michael Ian Black, Amy uh, Bradley Cooper, is yeah, in Bradley it. Cooper, yeah. Um, uh, H. John Benjamin plays the voice of a can of like fucking beans or some <laughs> shit. Um, uh, you have uh, Janine. Garofalo, who who was well known at that time. David Hyde Pierce. David Hyde Pierce is in it, and of course it, it spawned the, a Netflix series, which I actually enjoyed. Did I, you really I, see it? Yeah, I enjoyed the Netflix series that came out. It was a prequel, mm-hmm. and they of course they were making jokes about how everybody's way older. Right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, but uh, it, it's it's an origin story for what happens in what Hot American Summer, and and uh, I I enjoyed it. There were some people who didn't like it, of course, but. Um, but, uh, overall, I just love this movie. They, the, there's that, the, the one character that, uh, his Michael Showalter plays is he's basically the main character in this. Um, he's in love with this one and the actress is named Marguerite Moreau. Uh, and like they, they have this scene at the beginning where she talks to him and apparently it was the first time like they'd talk to each other (laughs) and like the entire summer or whatever. And, uh, and she walks away and he goes, I want you inside me. (laughs) (laughs) And she goes, what? He's like, he's like, have a good time. You know, whatever. (laughs) Um, lines like that are just great. And Paul Rudd is such a funny ass oh, fucking dickhead man. in yep. this movie he is so funny like he's just he's like he's like he's go. he's the one who's actually going out with the marguerite moreau character and then like there's a point halfway where he starts making out with elizabeth bank yeah. and like and like there's a point where they're like making out and he like pulls away from her he's like he's like your breast takes like a burger I, <laughs> i'm done with this or whatever <laughs> and uh and 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 just like real truthful moments in this because it, it seems like the show walter character and marguerite moreau are like sort of destined to be this couple yeah. and it really like just does a, a great thing <laughs> by the end of the uh but uh really funny movie and yeah, i would recommend yeah, good it pick um all right so i was gonna go with vacation by ed helms here <laughs> as yep. underrated mm. and i will admit i am i am all in <laughs> if you two and you listeners watch this movie and do not like it i have made peace with that yeah. right. <laughs> uh i watched most of this movie again yesterday because it was on and it just always makes me laugh and i think part of it is the humor is just quirky like one of chris hemsworth's running gags is that all of his conservative texan type isms have to do with faucets <laughs> so like he's calling rusty gullible and he's like that's all rusty you buy water from a faucet and then <laughs> la- later on he says some other things like even a stone faucet lets out a drip or two and you see like ed helms go, what is with all the faucets <laughs> um I, I i think it's really funny i think it's funnier than its reputation or its reviews yeah. i think it's underrated but for the answer uh-huh. i found a better one okay and it's a movie starring steve zahn called a perfect getaway Ooh, oh yes nice. have you seen this movie oh yeah this is a movie I want to say very little about. Yep, yep. Um, this movie does one thing so well, it makes the whole movie great. Yep. yep. Um, and it's about a couple on vacation in Hawaii on a hike. Mm-hmm. And that's all I'm going to tell you. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't think you will feel like you wasted your hour and a half when you're done with this movie. It's not Definitely long. Not. 
Um, and it's just, I, it's so clever. I'm surprised it hadn't been done before. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe it has in some obscure French black and white movie. From the <laughs> sure, it has. Thirties. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but you know, it's 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 just like a typical tense vacation thriller. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's probably pretty average in that regard. But as a whole, I don't think it's average at all. I think it's really, really smart. And so, I, I think it's way underseen and way underrated. You two are the only two people I've ever even talked to that have seen it. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, it's well, great. Well, some, some of what you're saying here, and, and this goes for vacation too, is a lot of times it's how you come upon it. You know, yeah. uh, you run across it. You have like a perfect getaway. I... I was just waiting for movies to get out one night at the theater huh. and I just strung that thing up. It was really short. So I was like, you know what? While these movies are waiting to get out, I'll just watch this and everything. And then it was a big surprise to me. You know, I wasn't expecting anything from it. Same thing goes for something like vacation. You probably yeah. weren't expecting anything out of that. It's amazing how much a movie can grow on you when yeah. you just kind of uh, have no idea what to get, what you're getting into. And there's some, then suddenly something's funny and then something's funny again. And you're like, Oh, you know, I was thinking about this the other day. If it's a movie I haven't seen and it's got people I like in it, I have a very low tolerance or high tolerance for, for <laughs> poor quality. Mm-hmm. I will sit and watch like that. There's this movie called Blackway with Anthony Hopkins and, uh, the girl from the Bourne movies who plays Nikki. Um, and, it's not good. I watched the whole goddamn thing because I like the people in it and I didn't know what was going to happen. But when I go to the theater and I plunk down money and I've seen the trailer and I have yeah. certain expectations, my tolerance, you know, goes way down for crap. And so you may be right because it's the kind of that horrible bosses two thing happening mm-hmm. with vacation. Like you might watch vacation and go, well, it's certainly not a 26% on Rotten Tomatoes bad, but mm-hmm. I don't see why Jeremy likes it so much. That's probably what's going to happen. <laughs> and I just happened to catch it on the right day and I was already a big Ed Helms fan. I don't know. So it was, it's Julia Stiles was in that? Julia Stiles. Oh, okay. Yeah. I was, um, I was trying to figure out because I was trying to, I was like, I think that's Julia Stiles, but it, I mean, Nikki, I just couldn't think of the character name. And I think it's even got Ray Liotta in it. It's like a lot of times movies get made on a smaller budget. They'll have a few big actors, but for one reason or another, they never release wide or mm. they never get distribution and whoever invested in the film wants to get whatever money they can back and so this movie ends up on hbo for two months or mm-hmm. find in a dvd bin or what have you uh and the perfect getaway was exactly like that it came on tv i, had, I didn't even know it existed so and, and I, I just looked this movie up uh daniel alfredson the guy who did the original girl with a dragon tattoo oh, trilogy wow. did that movie well huh. then that kind of explains why there's some cleverness there yeah i mean it's hmm. it obviously i mean again we don't we don't look at the imdb ratings to tell us what we like or whatever mm-hmm. it's got a 5.2 on the imdb so underrated would be a good category absolutely <laughs> all right well give us yours barrett well this one's also not very well liked i think it's definitely underrated and it's the heartbreak kid it's the ben stiller yep. version of this ah, um, there was another version yeah no there was one um yeah, before uh, i can't remember when it came out it but- starred dean martin <laughs> in 1961 no i think it was something like that now this was actually the fairly brothers we were just talking about how they've gone downhill um after there's something about mary and this is not a great movie by any stretch of the imagination but i had similarly low expectations came on cable probably about three or four years ago and i was just watching and i was like this is a lot more fun than i realized it mm-hmm. was part of it is that it's got an r rating part of it is that there's 
There's fun humor in this, and there's raunchy humor without it being typical Fairly Brothers gross-out humor, mm-hmm. aside from one obvious peeing on a uh, <clears throat> jellyfish wound yep. uh, thing. But even that's pretty hilarious, mm-hmm. because it's revealed that uh, this woman has this odd feature. Anyway, um, <laughs> what I was saying earlier... But what I was saying earlier is I like a lot of Ben Stiller movies, even though I don't really like Ben Stiller in those movies. And Ben Stiller as kind of the straight guy and like the the guy who doesn't explain himself and that gets him into trouble later on. Like that's the worst part of this movie. But everything else is really, really fun. And primarily Malin Ackerman as the girl that he just got married to and they are on their honeymoon is fearless in this role yeah, yeah she is and she is. it's hilarious man I well mean, it, i'll tell you also the thing uh, heartbreak kid that i came out of was that was the first experience i had with danny mcbride oh yeah and he was funny <laughs> yeah, as yeah, fuck yeah. in that yeah, movie he was. isn't michelle monaghan in this too she is yeah that's the girl he falls for uh-huh. thinks he falls for yeah was. yeah well, and the whole thing is is just a stupid misunderstanding that he meets Michelle Monaghan and on his honeymoon, and he doesn't tell her that he's married. Yeah. And then it gets to the point where it would be weird if he tells her that he's married. Yeah. Um, but meanwhile, poor Malin Ackerman has got this horrible sunburn, like she's been laid up. Just everything is terrible has happened to this woman. And he's off like, oh, I don't think I like this woman because she sings to the mute the car radio the whole way down. Well, the, the premise is that they get married, everything's perfect yep. and then then suddenly he starts noticing everything that's wrong with her yeah. kind of like cinema sins got married to somebody yeah. um, <laughs> well that's just annoying in the car yeah and she should have the self awareness to realize that but at some point you got to give it a rest it is pretty funny and ben stiller's reactions are really funny because they start off it's like every road trip movie where it's like ah, i got a pocket i got a pocket full of sunshine or whatever it is and uh, then like the next song comes on she's singing along then like cut to three hours later she's still singing along yeah. and he's like how do you know the lyrics to all these songs? <laughs> but uh it's it's a lot of fun uh jerry stiller's in it he's pretty funny um he's always reliably funny carlos mencia is pretty funny in this it it's kind of like a a comparison to forgetting Sarah Marshall um, in that it's kind of a, an exotic location yeah. to interact with the the staff and everything. Um, it's not as good as forgetting Sarah Marshall, but it's worth, worth a look. Good call. The original was in 1972, with Charles Grodin and Sybil Shepard. Oh. And it was uh, directed by Elaine May, who was uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mike Nichols, I think married to Mike Nichols and wrote a bunch of Mike Nichols screenplays. Oh, uh, and then eventually Ishtar was what oh, she's see, probably. I almost went Ishtar on my underrated. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Ishtar is one of these movies. It's like the reverse La La Land. It got so much panning yep. that people decided it was worthless. And there's some gold in there, yeah. man. Those two have really good timing. They're fucking idiots. Uh, just the I just the first 15 minutes of them trying to write a song <laughs> is worth watching the whole movie for, even before they get the mistaken identity in the CIA. I love me some Ishtar. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so that's... Okay. Those are our recommendations Yay! for vacation movies, baby. Yeah. Now watch them all and yes. come back and report. That's right. Because <laughs> even though you're on vacation, you have homework. Observe and report. Oh, yeah. Oh, I'm sure that'll come up later on. Mm-hmm. I'm proud of our picks. We did good picks. Mm-hmm. What I like is that... It's like that episode of Seinfeld where Elaine only likes the Vincent picks at the video <laughs> store, and she doesn't want to get it. Got plenty of Jean picks available. Oh, Jean's trash. I'm Jean. I'm Jean. Jean. People will 
you know, people who think their taste is more like yours might be more interested in checking out your recommendations Mm -hmm. than mine, so on and so forth. I just think it's fun. It's fun. We're having fun. Nice. We're having fun. We are having a good time. We're just talking here. (laughs) We're touching. We're touching. We are having a good time. (laughs) God put our mouths on our heads for a reason. (laughs) (laughs) All right. You want to do some cues? Let's do some cues. Let's do some cues. Question. I got something to say. I want the truth. I am listening. I rewatched A Few Good Men recently, whose tournament loss shall be for eternally mourned. I agree. And notice how Lieutenant Caffey thinks he thinks better with his bat. Which got me thinking, what do you think are the best character quirks in terms of trinkets or fidgeting? Mm. So immediately, my mind jumped to what I think is probably just a tiny little, like, I don't know if Clooney came up with it or if Soderbergh told him to do it, but it's Jack's lighter and out of sight. Ah. Mm-hmm. Um, he doesn't smoke. He doesn't even really use it for anything except for fidgeting. And I always found that very cool because what's not cool about popping a Zippo lighter and then just like. Well, and you can also imagine there's a backstory or a reason like Butch's watch in Pulp Fiction. Maybe it's a really important lighter to him or something. Uh, That's a great answer. Ah, thank and you. When, when I was in college and doing stage plays like the arsenic and old lace and the whatnot, they, they taught us uh, indefinite business. That's what they called it. Mm-hmm. Was that whenever you're on stage, if you don't have lines, you should have something for your hands to be doing, for your character to be doing. That's something that can recur or whether it's, you know, chewing on a pen mm-hmm. or flicking open a lighter and closing it. And it creates this added realism almost subconsciously for the viewer when you've got good and definite business. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the better examples I've seen. Yeah, it's his thing. Yeah, it's his thing. It's thing. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's a funny thing, too, is, uh, when Paul Thomas Anderson was doing Heart 8 and Gwyneth Paltrow wanted to do a lot of things with her hands and everything, he wouldn't let her do it. Oh, yeah? yeah. Interesting. He said, that's a that's a, an actor's crutch, and I'm not going to let you do that. Oh. So I was taught a crutch. You were... <laughs> Well, I mean, I'm sure there's different philosophies and I'm sure Paul Thomas Anderson just gets tired of it. Just like I get, I got tired of seeing people eating apples and shit like that yeah. in movies. Yeah. It was just, you know, <laughs> or it, you got tired of watching Clooney's head bob. Yeah. All over the place. Yeah. I mean, there was, there's always these things that you notice in movies and you're like, could you just do it without that? Yeah. Please, please. <laughs> I can't not notice this, you know, that's so. interesting. Um, I, mine is not as recurring. Mm hmm. Uh, but I loved it as such a little touch so much that I'm going to use it. And that's Emily Blunt's fake cigarette in Looper. Because mm. uh, huh. she clearly used to be a smoker and for whatever reason is not anymore. I like to believe that she just had to quit because she's raising this child now who's really her daughter but doesn't believe she's her daughter. But there's that early scene when we get to her farm where she's like, I think she's sitting out on the <laughs> out on the front porch. Yeah, 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 I think so. And she's not fucking around with this fake cigarette. Like, she brings it up to her mouth really slow, brings out a fake lighter. The drag she pretends to take and blow out is slow and easy. Just like, oh, God, I would kill for a cigarette right now if I could. And I always found that such a neat little touch because, again, a lesser movie would show a patch or give us some other way to let us know she used to be a smoker, but she gave it up. And I just liked... Everybody I know who smoked and then gave it up has always kind of missed it, like Chandler on Friends. Yeah, we were talking yeah, about yeah. that earlier. Mm-hmm. So I kind of, I kind of feel like she misses it, and there's a there's a nostalgic warmth in this act for her of pretending to smoke a cigarette. Well, we could do a whole litany of answers to this about cigarettes. Mm-hmm. Um, 
which are of course getting less and less prevalent in movies so much so they have to be on the mpaa thing the yep. scenes of smoking but like vincent vega and like um, half of travolta's characters even though he doesn't smoke in real life are smoking cigarettes and that's mm-hmm. kind of their thing you go through this in pulp fiction it, he's going through the whole thing of like rolling it up and everything and that's that's his indefinite business yeah um and it's very, very cool to see Bruce Willis in Die Hard and things mm-hmm. like that, where that's part of the character is this this action of smoking. Yeah. 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 Um, I wrote down a few, but I, I'm going to go with uh, Christian Bale as Michael Burry in The Big Short, and, oh. uh, his drumsticks. Yeah. Oh. He's constantly, of course, listening to music, but he's always like tapping those drumsticks on his desk and everything. Mm really just sort of trying to figure this problem out that's going on in the movie this whole like you know this housing crisis um and uh, just every time you see him he's just in there doing that now i guess a lot of people do that it's mm-hmm. a, that's a normal thing people listen to music or they 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 go and play music or whatever to sort of um to sort of think about uh, other things like uh i think that's like the entire that's one huge plot point of Mr. Deeds goes to town. The, the mm-hmm. old Gary Cooper one, not the Adam Sandler one, but he's, there's a whole court case where he's like, he's like, I just, uh, I just get on my guitar to, to play and, and think that's mm-hmm. what, that's what my thing is. And it's like, it's like, and he's goes through around the courtroom. Like, this is what your thing is. I've noticed you do this ever since you came in, you know, that oh, type wow. of thing. Uh, but yeah, music seems to be a big thing. I wrote down a couple of others. Um, they're not prevalent. I mean, they're like all the way through the movie, but John Malkovich and his Oreos and rounders, yeah. <laughs> which is the big, huge tell that yeah, he's got. Exactly. Make, that which he's nobody make, has ever noticed. Before. Nobody's noticed. <laughs> um, but that's a, that's a big, huge thing yeah, in yeah. that movie and everything, yeah. but it's not, it's not as, you know, it's not like the lighter or anything yeah. like that. Um, but uh, that's the one that's the big one for me was the Christian Bale one. That's yeah, a good one. I liked the other one uh, that I, I thought about was Rocky and his ball, the ball that he oh, keeps, yeah. like you know, bouncing all the way through. Oh, yeah. And like he's bouncing it off of, of the walls and all that stuff and off the ground. And it gives him kind of just like a thing rather than just walking around the streets of Philadelphia. He's got like a thing, mm-hmm. you know, and that's kind of cool. I used to have this blue stress ball mm-hmm. about eight years ago when I worked at the web design firm before all this stuff. And I was always doing that. I'd bring it to meetings. I'd throw it off the walls. Mm-hmm. I'd throw it off my cubicle. And one of my coworkers' little kids came in one day and started playing with me with the ball. Uh-huh. And then later referred to the ball as the jerball. ball. <laughs> and then all my coworkers called me jerball ball for the rest of my employment there. To the uh-huh. point where I lunched with them like two months ago. They all called me jerball. ball. Nice. Hey, jerball, ball. How's it going? <laughs> so you became. There you go. You became Coco the monkey. I basically did. Yeah. <laughs> Kruger will never allow, allow two Cocos. <laughs> T-bones. I should have Love that, that T-bone. <laughs> By the way, uh, have you guys familiar with fidget spinners? That was in one of the yeah. the, the sin scripts. Yeah. The split. That's now I'm up, now I'm addicted to it. Um, once you have it in your hand and you can start it, like flick and it's very like tactilely. I got one because I read. I, when I went to Florida, I got one because I read that they're good for people with anxiety. Mm-hmm. Give yourself something to do. Um, and only when, when I got back did I realize the internet has decided that they're uh, the butt of all jokes. Uh, yeah. And like, uh, it's a pet rock. Well, yeah, but it's an annoying pet rock to teachers, apparently, because my son has one and all of the kids in his class have them and the teachers can't outlaw them. 
but it's got to be they're just falling all over the place they're made of metal they're spinning it's this low level hum like all oh, the way wow. through what i really like about it is when you when you hold it level up uh, vertical or horizontal and get it going really fast mm-hmm. you can feel the resistance as you start to kind of turn you your see hand it slow down a bit. Yeah. uh the centrifugal resistance or what have you it's kind of fascinating i i i just heard about these literally in the last two days yeah. i've I had no idea it's good it's good stuff yeah, yeah good stuff fun. i'll bring mine next time we can spin <laughs> let's nice. fidget yeah all right if you could have one prop from any movie to display in your home what would you choose now this is interesting because obviously there are a bazillion of these there are and we recently had the question of what article of clothing would you like but what is a prop that you would Captain like? Picard's chair. Oh, yeah. shit, that's a good one. From the Enterprise D. Oh, man. It would sit in my office, and I would sit in it. Yeah, of course. And I would say things like, make it so, <laughs> and number one, and damn it, Wesley. Mm-hmm. Uh, things like that. Mm-hmm. And the line must be drawn here, <laughs> this far, and no further. Mm-hmm. 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 Jean-Luc, the damn ship. <laughs> Sorry, I just went into first well, contact. Well, Jeremy right? took everybody's answer in this room. <laughs> Go on to the next question. No, I'm just kidding. Well, um, I, you've got your furniture. I'm going to have the desk from The Godfather. Oh, that's good. Because oh. I want my shit to be functional. Mm. I'm going to work at that desk. I'm going to fucking just, I'm going to probably like do uh, do the, the dramatic thing where I wipe everything off of it and have <laughs> sex with somebody on yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go, probably your wife, maybe? Uh, yeah, definitely my okay. wife. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, there's like an 80% chance it's my yeah, wife. Right, 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 right. Um, but like, uh, no, I think that'd be awesome. First of all, awesome I have desk. seen it with my own two eyeballs oh, yeah? at Francis Ford Coppola's Vineyard in napa oh wow and it is as gorgeous as you remember from the Mm. movie and having that shit in my office would be awesome yeah yeah that's a cool one Mm. yeah uh i'm gonna have uh the idol from raiders of the lost ark oh excellent it's an ugly little thing it really is man oh man would it be great to just have as a sort of centerpiece in your room (laughs) that would be a good conversation starter (laughs) yeah absolutely can you imagine How did you get your hands on this idol? Well, <laughs> that's a whole other movie. <laughs> that's a whole thing. Um, but uh, yeah, that would be a that'd be a fun little thing to have hanging out. Yeah, we have a I nice like little that. office setup between Picard's chair, the Godfather desk, and the idol that you put on the desk. We should totally make this movie that everybody's challenging us to make. Oh yeah, because we can't make movies uh, <laughs> to have a have the Godfather desk, the Picard chair, and the Raiders of the Lost Ark idol all in one sink. I dig. And can I say make it? So somewhere in the movie absolutely hey by the way all paramount properties <laughs> that's pretty fascinating that's pretty fascinating yeah yeah wow How we're brand we we're that? brand loyal i guess oh all right let's get deep Mm-hmm. What movie is about something deeper than it appears to be, such as how Whiplash isn't just about drums, but perfectionism, or how the social network is about the fragility of friendship? Mm. I don't know about the social network analogy. I do believe, obviously, Whiplash is not just about drumming. Um, but what are some movies that have deeper meanings than you would think? Well, you know, there is a recent movie that has just come out that I'm pretty sure that you guys haven't seen, but it's called Colossal. Oh yeah, um, and Anne uh, Hathaway, right? Anne Hathaway, and essentially the gist of it when you watch the trailer is that you find out that there's this monster ravaging Korea, mm-hmm. and that she somehow is responsible for this monster that's ravaging Korea, and so the movie, and I'm, I'm I don't want to, I don't want to get like, um, I, I, I listened to uh, Aaron on his Sift Pop, uh, uh 
uh, podcast about this movie and uh, and i couldn't have said it much better than what he he was talking about and i don't want to get too much into it because for people who really want to see this at some point it's kind of a good surprise type movie it's not like mm-hmm. a, i'm not giving away that there's a surprise or a twist no obviously or i think it's in it's the just, trailer it's, it's just kind of a very a, yeah. yeah um but um but like uh it's got uh it's got her and jason sudeikis and jason sudeikis have never seen like this before really uh yeah is he like the bar owner or something yeah he's a bar owner and she she basically she lives in new york and her boyfriend kicks her out of the apartment because she's she drinks all the time she's always out he never sees her so on and so forth so she goes back to her hometown runs into like old friend jason sudeikis and everything um but the whole movie in in of itself you could you could say is uh is a big sort of uh, allegory for alcoholism ah mm-hmm. uh so there's a lot of different uh there's a lot of different things in there that if you watch the movie under sort of a metaphorical uh you know with metaphorical glasses on and everything you notice that this isn't just about some weird thing about a girl and her monster that she's controlling yeah. South Korea. it's it's got a lot more to it and every all the actions mean more than that it looks it really impressive now i wasn't as big of a fan as aaron was of this movie i did like it i mm-hmm. thought it was i thought it was good and especially listening to him talk about it and everything i was like you know maybe over a couple more viewings of this i'll i'll be all on board of colossal i feel like it it goes to there's some character changes in the movie that are like too quick for me mm-hmm. like it doesn't didn't seem realistic to me at all but overall it was it was it was a good time so anyways. i really want to see it yeah I got one that I'm not totally sure that I know what it's about. I kind of want to ask you guys. But I know that Groundhog Day is about something incredibly deep. Mm-hmm. Um, I've read a lot of stuff about Groundhog Day that it's like this, almost like a Zen search for perfectionism or that kind of thing, or your highest self. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know exactly if if that's the case. But it's definitely more about more than just this guy reliving a day over and over again. Um, he has to get to a certain point. Some of it is selfish and some of it is for the good of the town. It's definitely to make him a better person, though. Um, and that certainly wasn't communicated by the trailer, or by the marketing of Groundhog Day when it came out. It was Bill Murray being crazy and he can't die and he's in Punxsutawney. Don't drive stuff. angry. Exactly. Side of your eye. Side mm-hmm. of your eye. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, the more the more that you watch it, matter of fact, I think the first couple of times that I watched this, it was a lot sadder than I thought it was going to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was some funny moments in there and everything, but like that whole montage of him c- committing suicide over and over and over again is like, eh, all right. Um, so what do you guys, do you guys think that, what, what is it? I think this is a unique case because my gut reaction is we may be overanalyzing, uh-huh. <clears throat> but I do know that I've read that he and Harold Ramis had wildly different ideas about what this movie should be and its tone and that the movie we ended up with was somewhere in between yeah. there too. Like one was going to be much more madcap and one was going to be a much more... So I think there was at least discussion about something very meditative and deep. And so for that reason, I think this is a unique case that, yeah, they are, I think they are trying to say something um, and it does get dark. Actually, it's, it's harder for me to watch the trying to save the old man. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, yeah. keep that guy from dying, because at that point, he's already turned a corner 
at least to wanting to be a good person, but he still can't. And he's just he's breaking down. Yeah. Uh, so I think there's a lot of deep stuff going on here. Some of it we might just be inferring, uh, but they clearly thought about it while they were making mm-hmm. it. Well, you have, you also have in a sort of a way like it. Yes. He has basically infinite days uh, to make this one day perfect or whatever, but it's almost like, what if this were your last day, mm-hmm. live life to the fullest, that type of a message i always got from it too because essentially he had been wasting his life if he doesn't get the snowstorm he's going to continue being this horrible person yeah and, and everything and nothing's ever going to change but as he goes through this over and over and over again he learns like oh okay there are there are more to things than just you know me getting my celebrity status things yeah, and-, and i like the fact that none of this shit is explained why does this happen to him why does it happen now? Yeah. Why does it happen in this place? That is a great thing. Uh, yeah. And it does, even the script gets pretty meditative because there's that scene where he's talking to Andy McDowell in the cafe explaining what's going on. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I'm not the God. I'm a yeah. God. <laughs> Maybe the real God isn't a God. He's just been around so long. Yeah. He's seen everything. Yeah. Uh, that You don't write something like that into your script if you're not trying to needle the brain a little bit, I think, uh, into thinking deeper. Yeah. Usually these high concept, you're right usually these high concept movies have some sort of inciting act like you know in liar liar it's the kid blowing out candles and making a wish right and you know and there's some here it's really there's zero explanation yeah there's no architect to come right exactly (laughs) there's nobody that's came that's come in and say here's the magical thing or whatever i do like that about the movie there's no chevy chase that's right the hot tub time yeah yeah i was thinking christopher walken and click same yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, Same exact yeah, character. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, what are we talking about? Uh, the uh, <laughs> oh, I'm going with South Park, bigger, longer, and uncut. Nice. Yeah. Because if there's one great regret I have for The Simpsons, it's that when they made a movie, which I find to be pretty funny, they didn't try and do anything deeper with it. Nope. Mm-hmm. Whereas the South Park guys did. Mm-hmm. And when that movie came out and I first watched it, I didn't, I didn't pay any attention to that. I was just enjoying. These characters with filthy language that wasn't getting censored and a longer story that seemed like it fit in this universe. But they were going after censorship hard. They wrote the script to tackle a huge issue and yet still try and make an entertaining surface movie as well. Um, And, you know, I kind of wish The Simpsons could have done something like that with their movie. Uh, it just didn't elevate at well, all. Well, if they had if they had made it when they wanted to make it, which was back in the third, fourth season yeah. or whatever, but the, you know, they they kept you know because the making a season of those was so grueling. Yeah, they couldn't they couldn't ever. That was the reason why it took so long. And by the time it came out, which was two thousand six yeah. or two thousand seven, one of those, it, it, you know, the the series itself had long passed its like real heyday yeah and so all the writers that are on that they don't have any new material to mine Mm -hmm. they don't have anything really to go and that's why that movie is so strange uh at times but um but yeah i was the simpsons movie was better than i think i I was expecting at that point Mm -hmm. but still was a far cry from what it would have been if it had come out in like 93 94 probably right Okay, what city or general location in real life do you think is the most romanticized in movies? I like mm. this question a lot. Yeah, go ahead. San Francisco, hands fucking down. All right, why? Because you get shots of the bay and the bridge and the buildings, 
and they don't ever get close enough to show you how fucking dirty that city is. I was there one time with Chris two years ago. There is a cake of dust and grime on everything. Buildings, sidewalks, curbs, and there is literally a homeless person every five feet. That's true. And it smells bad. And we walked a lot in that city. A lot of places. We walked a lot. And it's that way everywhere. I was was floored. That's interesting. I could not believe... Because there have been countless movies and TV shows yeah. that just romanticize that goddamn Golden Gate Bridge and the hilly nature of the city and the unique architecture. And it's grimy as hell. You will want a shower every hour. That is hilarious. I, I did not get that impression. I, I see what you're saying about the dirtiness um, and the homeless population, yep. for sure. But I saw something just about as, as glamorous as that. And I... I walked around a decent amount, went to Haight-Ashbury, went to the wharf and all that stuff, and uh, up around the uh, the big twisty road and all that stuff, and I was super charmed by that city. I was not. That's interesting. It, it is interesting. Like, uh, I, I, I have both of your perspectives of huh. San Francisco, because <laughs> I found a lot of things beautiful about the city, but all at the same time, there's this just grimy you know <laughs> sort of like uh you know film over this i'm movie, telling you <laughs> uh, over the city now we also drove out to the, the redwoods uh-huh. none of that grime there and that's mm. probably a top 10 experience yeah, of my that was life pretty awesome um so you know it, it wasn't all bad and we were staying and walking downtown there were plenty of neighborhoods we didn't get to see uh, but I remember being shocked. I, I remember telling you when we were there, this is the dirtiest city I've ever been in. <laughs> Dirtier than New York City. Yeah. Um, I'm going to say that Prague is the most romanticized Ooh, city. Interesting. Now, typically, it's... Don't you mean Prague? I do mean Prague. <laughs> Prague? I need, I need a recording. I need a recording of Chris saying Prague. <laughs> it's hilarious. Um, but uh, no, I, I, it's usually, of course, it's in spy movies. There's in almost every spy movie, Bond, Mission Impossible. They go to Prague. Yeah. yeah. I always find a way. And it's always an opera house. And it's like, look at this opera house. Look at all of our statues and art and everything like that. <laughs> I think Prague gets gets a, a great deal of romanticism. <laughs> it's almost like, uh, I mean, you know, it, you may be saying this later, but Paris mm-hmm. kind of gets this kind of, has yeah. always long gotten this treatment and, and probably a more accurate answer. But Prague recently, I feel like that's always that go to European city to go. Yeah. To. Yeah. yeah I, th- I get you. I the, feel you. In that kicking and screaming movie I was talking about last week, there's uh, the Olivia Diabo character moves to Prague after graduation. And the protagonist is like, uh, she's like, you haven't, you can't talk negatively about Prague. You've never been to Prague. He's like, oh, I've been to Prague. I mean, I haven't been to Prague, been to Prague. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm going to say as much love as we've heaped on this city, rightfully so, uh, but Boston mm. is super romanticized. Mm-hmm. And especially with a certain subset of filmmakers like Ben Affleck and Matt Damon, Mark Wahlberg, all these guys. Um, what what you see there, and I've been to Boston a few times. Have you guys been to Boston? You've been oh, to yeah. Boston. Yep. Um, it is a really, really cool city. It's a very walkable city. Um, not a very drivable city. No, definitely not a drivable city. Because they just never fixed the roadways once cars became a thing. Well, it's that, and then you've got the uh, the BART or uh, whatever going through, uh, the public transit going yeah. right down the middle of the street, so you can't turn at all. 
Um, but the the real like money shots of Boston, like Fenway's within sight distance of everything. Like Fisherman's Wharf is right there, not Fisherman's Wharf. Uh, the uh, Boston Harbor is right there in all shots. I think you've done two San Francisco things uh, on this Boston. <laughs> what was the other one? Bart. Bart is the uh, San area. Francisco. Yeah, yes. Bay area. I was thinking Boston <laughs> area. God <laughs> yeah. damn. Uh, but the uh, yeah, I mean, it seems like everything is just the Boston Commons is within everything. You know, in Goodwill Hunting, I believe Robin Williams takes Matt Damon's character. He takes him to Boston Commons, but he's supposed to be way the fuck down in South Boston. Mm-hmm. So that's a long ass trip to get up to that duck pond. Yeah. I've been to that duck pond. It's beautiful. But anyway, I, it's I don't know. It, it it's a little too romanticized, both in the um, the beautiful way and in the gritty, grimy way, in the southeast and all that stuff, and the 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 neighborhoods and Gone Baby Gone. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that's my answer. No, that was a good good one. All right, let's do one more. Let's do another. Uh, okay, what are good examples of the best and worst movie featuring a musician in which they had at least some creative input? Um, interesting examples they gave. This listener says David Bowie in Labyrinth and Bob Dylan in Max, Masked and Anonymous. Ba- mm. Bob Dylan either helped co-write that movie or helped co-direct that movie. Yeah, I think he may have co-written it. I'm not Under I- a pseudonym, I think, yeah. too. So what I was going to say today is... Um, what a, a lot of people may not agree with me, but Prince in Purple Rain is, I think, a great example because Purple Rain is not a great movie, mm-hmm. but the fact that he made this his own and its own his own story and everything just makes me smile every single time. Uh, my answer for today, uh, so we just found out today that Chris Cornell uh, died. Mm-hmm. Um, so Chris Cornell was in the movie Singles, yeah, uh, a movie that I've gone on record as not liking very much. Mm-hmm. Um, but apparently he had a lot. I do love the soundtrack. Yeah. And apparently he had a lot of influence on that. In fact, Cameron Crowe was talking about putting Chris Cornell in the lead in the wow. uh, in uh, Matt Dillon. No, not Matt Dillon. Uh, the uh, oh, the Campbell Scott, the Campbell Scott role. Oh, wow. Um, which would have been very, very interesting. Either him or the Matt Dillon role. Uh, but he didn't. He, he had stuff to do. He was going on tour or whatever. Um, what they did was Matt Dillon's band, Citizen Dick, mm-hmm. um, recorded um, or had like a tape, like a prop tape that uh, the basis for Pearl Jam typed up and all that stuff. And it had a listing of joke songs on there. One of the joke songs was called Spoon Man. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, Chris Cornell went in and recorded all of those songs. Mm-hmm. And one of those songs was called Seasons, which ended up on the soundtrack. Yeah. Um, that he recorded on this tape and he gave the tape back to Cameron Crowe. Um, so Chris Cornell was was very integral in not only, you know, being kind of a, a pillar of the scene in Seattle at the time, but also an influence in one of the best soundtracks of all time uh, in that movie. So that's that's one that one. Very it, good. It's yep. it's funny, too. He he shows up a couple of times in the movie. And uh, the, the funniest part one is when Matt Dillon wires Bridget Fonda's car up yeah. that <laughs> insane radio uh, stereo system that's yeah. in her car. And they he starts playing. He starts putting the volume up and everything. <laughs> but you see Chris Cornell. He's just like sitting there just like <laughs> just headbang into it and everything. Yeah. Of course, it ends up with, you know, her car windows getting <laughs> smashed <laughs> out. And everything. Um. Okay, so by the way, Master Anonymous was Bob Dylan under the pseudonym of Sergei Petrov. Oh, there you go. Uh, and it was uh, directed by Larry Charles. Oh yeah, 
Um, okay, I have a best and worst here. You, are we doing our, our best first? I didn't do the, the worst, but I'll give you my worst real quick. Justin Timberlake and End Time. And oh, that's, yeah. That's, that's a, all that needs to be said yeah, about that. That's a good one. Although, you know what? That's, a, that's an interesting case. Do we consider him a musician who is acting in that movie? Uh, I think, well, I mean, okay. So they mentioned that David Bowie and Labyrinth right. uh, as their example. Mm-hmm. David Bowie is also acting in there. Yes, he's got some yeah, musical yeah, numbers, yeah. but he's more of an actor than he is a, a musician. But, it, you know, the, it's it's an interesting facet to this question mm-hmm. because I I think I consider Timberlake as much an actor as I do a musician these days. It's kind of it's kind of strange. And that's a movie where it's not like they just stuck him in as a stunt casting type of thing. Mm-hmm. They figured he really could do this job. And I think he did. It's the movie's terrible it's not much anybody could have done with it yeah i mean he's pretty bad uh, especially after he had done alpha dog and uh, yeah. and social network before then but yeah uh my best is i've mentioned this before uh this movie before but frank sinatra and the man with a golden arm yeah Ooh. um it's it it's something that you didn't see back in the 1950s discussing heroin addiction yeah and of course they couldn't say heroin or anything that he was actually doing, but mm. you saw him tying up his arm and that's where it went. And you, okay. <laughs> and, uh, and he's, he, and he plays it really well, but Frank Sinatra, and it's another one, by the way, that about this question, you don't really, con- do you really consider him just a musician who's trying to act in this movie or, or is he really an actor by this point? I, okay. If you take those two considerations by the 1950s, Frank Sinatra, obviously much, much more famous as a musician than he is as an actor, mm. even though he was in Guys and Dolls at that point yep. and some other things. Manchurian Candidate, I don't know if that came yeah, way came, after. Came, yeah, yeah. yeah, later. Oceans. But, uh, and Oceans. Um, but Justin Timberlake certainly was known more as a musician For even at that point. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah. I think, but I, I think I think the the question is basically saying you know them as a musician. Mm-hmm. What was their – what was a high acting point for yeah, them yeah. or whatever? Yeah. So yeah, Frank Sinatra in that in that movie. I mean, if you want to see like some some like really like, I mean, it makes you feel dirty watching a movie in the fifties that deals with this type mm-hmm. of stuff. I think it's really well done. Um, my worst. Now I'm I'm going to mention this because I'm pretty sure neither of us in this in this room has seen Glitter or or from just you seen it oh yeah or from justice justin to kelly i have seen I've that too seen that. oh my god so you guys have seen both i haven't i wanted to mention those <laughs> i've even seen crossroads by the oh, way oh shit on my list. um uh, i'm gonna mention what i think is worst here in a minute but glitter yeah. by the way has a 2.2 imdb rating i'm surprised it's that high. it came out a it came out a week after 9-11 oh, oh jesus wow Wow. Um, the the thing about from Justin to Kelly, I remember from Justin to Kelly because I will nobody nobody even me watched that movie for to sneak preview it to make sure the print rent through fine and all that. <laughs> nobody did that. I worked the next day Friday night and uh, and we ran the seven o'clock show and somebody came out and said that there was uh that the movie went out of frame i was like shit okay and i was like why didn't anybody say anything about it before then (laughs) and then i looked back at the the ticket sales for that day had zero all day (laughs) so basically it was running and it would go out of frame and nobody was there to care that's hilarious um but um it's not out of those two from justin to kelly is definitely better than glitter okay (laughs) 
Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, the one that I'm going to mention that I have seen, I'm going to say Rob Zombie uh, directing Halloween. Nice. Oh. Excellent pick. Uh, that's, uh, and obviously you can say that for a lot of the movies he's directed, mm-hmm. uh, but Halloween definitely is the one that uh, I, I think as far as musicians being involved, he shouldn't have been involved with. Yep. Uh, for the one that impressed me, I'm going to go with, I'm going to butcher his name, uh, Steve Van Zandt from the soprano oh yeah. good pick yeah uh, prior to that i only knew as a member of bruce springsteen's like it, yeah, it the band? East Street band. East, East yeah, yeah no yeah. it's it's shocking that he did this so beautifully yeah and he he's authentic yeah and um i i remember going that guy is yeah. it bruce springsteen's band <laughs> playing off scenes with these heavyweights and then the one that impressed me the least i'm so happy with this answer mick jagger and free jack oh <laughs> Because yeah. he's basically playing Mick Jagger in Free Jack, and he's a bad guy, and he has that pout and those lips, and there are plenty of things about that movie that will pull you out of it, but he is the biggest. That's a good one. <laughs> you forgot he was in. Free- you forgot all about oh, Free Jack. Oh man, there's there was a pe- there was a period of Mick Jagger when he did Dancing in the Street with David Bowie. He did that song with uh, Michael Jackson that was awful. Uh, he just had this run of anything that wasn't Stones related yeah. was just hideous. And that's <laughs> one of them. Yeah, that was a, a weird, like Anthony Hopkins is in there. And Rene Russo. Like Rene Russo. And uh, was it, I just, I'm just now looking up this thing. Uh, Jonathan Banks is in that movie. Yeah, and Emilio <laughs> Estevez. Yeah, Emilio Estevez, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Free it's guy. not good. I wouldn't waste your time. <laughs> it's one of those high concept terrible movies yeah yeah honorable mention for tina turner and beyond thunderdome yeah that was one that i was thinking of and i was like can i do i really consider that bad or good or what do i really that's bad what would i consider it really i mean i think she does what she can with it or whatever she is kind of bad i mean that movie's bad okay well that'll do it for this week uh keep on going to soundcloud and giving us your thoughts yeah bring it uh we're we're kind of more freeform these days uh but let us know what you think uh let us know if you plan on watching any of these uh recommendations if you have watched any of them let us know what you think uh we've gone through some comedies and we've gone through vacation movies and next week will be fantastic trust me yeah all right absolutely all right well that'll do it for this week's chris atkins and jeremy scott and barrett share we'll see you next time thanks for listening comment on our episodes on our soundcloud page check us out on youtube twitter facebook and reddit and be sure to visit cinemasins.com All right. Anything else about war movies? Fuck them. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's um, do you hear the words that are coming out of my mouth? Well, is it no, I think it's uh, Bijou Phillips. Oh, is it Bijou Phillips? I think so. Because that's the opening and it's in the park and she's got somebody's hand down her pants. Mm-hmm. What yeah. is that? But then Claudia Schiffer is in the movie. Black and white. The movie. Robert that, Downey Jr., Mike Tyson. Oh, Elijah yeah, Wood. yeah. That, that was a big story, too, because Downey, they didn't, Tyson didn't know that Downey was going to go and hit on him. Yeah. And, and so, like, he, he really played that up, like, like, fearlessly, basically went up and started hitting on Mike Tyson for the movie. Uh-huh. And I don't think Tyson did anything, though. I think he, he gets pretty angry. But he does get angry. And I think he starts calling him a bunch of gay slurs. Yes, yes, yes. 
which is probably what the real Mike Tyson in those moments. <laughs> probably. James can... Toback has this reputation for a certain style of filmmaking that just to me feels lazy. Mm-hmm. Like just because he does so much improv. Yeah. And I think he explains it away with more authentic performances and moments and shit like that. But it's really just a director who didn't feel like preparing in my mind. I don't remember too much about that movie other than that scene. And then Ben Stiller is like a detective or something like that. And at the very end, he's calling this guy a very dangerous person. He calls him up. I've always loved this in movies, though, uh, where somebody's just 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 audacious in their in their threats and like don't give a fuck or whatever ben stiller is talking to this dude on the phone that can kill him if he wants to i think he's like he's and he's it's basically to the point of saying he's like ah yeah i got the evidence and you're gonna go down asshole you heard me right motherfucker and all of a sudden ben stiller talking over this is this youtube channel is called joe pantaleano vault (laughs) <laughs> has 123 subscribers you know what i like i like ben stiller movies yeah even though i don't really like ben stiller all that much i noticed you snuck a heartbreak kid reference into today's show that's a fun movie it's like a long came poly like i really like that movie aside from ben stiller what's weird is that heartbreak kid one kills me because every time i end up watching part of it i have forgotten how fucking naked that girl gets yeah. in that honeymoon that's sex Malin Ackerman. Scene. yeah, yeah. <laughs> And clearly not afraid to take off her clothes for a role, but you don't expect that. It fe- it doesn't feel like it's that R-rated until that scene, and then it <laughs> just gets very R-rated very quickly. That's a funny sex scene, though. Yes, it, it is. Because <laughs> she doesn't know normal positions. Yeah. She like, and she says something like... Pile drive me. Yeah. <laughs> you want to pile drive me? Helicopter me, and I'll do this. <laughs> I do also like the idea, too, by the end of it, she's like, because he keeps saying the the flip switched and everything and then she goes i don't know what happened after we got married your flips you your switch flipped or whatever and it's like like him you know like maybe from her perspective he's different you know boys have a penis and girls have a vagina when i saw kindergarten cop i used to quote that line all the time much to my mother's chagrin i always did the uh the Beavis and Butthead thing, where they're getting sex ed from the uh, the like militaristic teacher. Oh my god! You, ever, you remember this? So funny. <laughs> We're gonna be talking about the penis. You know what? What's <laughs> funny about the vagina? I'll tell you what's so funny about that is not only the fact that they can't laugh, <laughs> and that he's saying these words for that very reason, but he's he's it feels like he's standing at the front of the classroom, <laughs> and he he's able to extend himself all the way to the and end. his eyeballs like yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're gonna be talking about the penis we're gonna be talking about the vagina sexual intercourse oh. and we will definitely be talking a lot about masturbation <laughs> and like they come running out of the, like the, the doors just like fly open and they're like <laughs> <laughs> that was actually I think the video one of, one of the videos on that was um, Vanilla Ice's I Love You. Oh, yeah. Remember that one? Where, uh, like, Vanilla Ice comes on and, like, starts rap- rapping the love song. I don't remember And they're that. like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> and then eventually he's like, well, you know what? He's rapping about love. <laughs> That's the worst <laughs> thing about this. I played with it way too much. I, I probably spent 15 minutes trying to time that slap perfectly, and eventually I just gave up. I figured it, it, there's probably a two and a half second window here where it plays just fine, and I don't need to find the 
microscopic perfect lines. No, it's perfect. Because, I mean, it takes so long for those mech things to swing around. Man, in the original edit of that that I got from the boys, that that line where we take off sins for get away from her, you bitch, Mm -hmm. they left in the entire walk. And there's like 12 steps she takes in that thing where it's like, gong, gong, gong. And I was like, Uh, well, boys, we cannot use this much footage. I'm going to trim this right at the end. And and I I think I may have written it in the script to say, show the walk up, but I did not mean that <laughs> i meant the camera zooming yeah, yeah. in it's on. so long that i like i wouldn't check the movie just to make sure is this really as long as i remember it being like i don't remember that like 10 seconds of walking before that line i just remember the lines which yeah. is extra funny because the queen is just sitting there yeah while she's walking come, up like, come. yeah come. what is this girl doing i also loved that sin you guys did a good job on that script but i loved that one about how nudist is <laughs> A bitch. <laughs> oh yeah, 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 yeah. You know what? That was one. That was one where uh, you know, th- there's nothing sinful about it. She's a kid, yeah. and and it, and it is exactly how somebody should act in this situation. And but every time I watch that, and she goes, "Can I go now?" Yeah. I always get this sort of like. There's this sort of like Mary Hart voice type of like thing that happens to me. Mary Hart voice. It's like the creamer. He goes into a seizure. And uh, and so I was like, there's not really anything I can say about this. Then I decided, you know what? For someone who is supposed to act this way, she's a real real bitch. Well, it's the same thing with uh, the kid that played Danny Torrance, like Kubrick. Nobody told him he was in a horror film. Yeah. Like uh, he was, he was. He thought he was in just some sort of like play, and you know he could ride around and all that stuff. He didn't. He didn't see... figure it out during the red rum scene. No, no. Like uh, it was years later before like he saw That's the actual thing. And now I think he was like an English high school English teacher in Louisville. The last time I checked. Interesting. Oh really? Yeah, it's crazy. Do you think every year he takes a day off and just shows his students the film, but never mentions that it's him? That would be hilarious. Hold I on. hate this movie, teacher. Yeah, like apparently, apparently, even the scene where the the twins are like, "Come play with us, Danny," and all that, because I don't think they actually say they don't mouth that. They don't even say it. I don't think you they just you just hear it. Yeah, you just hear it. Yeah. Um, I think he he thought that it was just a a a movie about him playing in a house or something like that. That's crazy. It was Danny Lloyd, and he's a biology professor in Elizabethtown, Kentucky. Well, you were pretty close though. Yeah, Mm -hmm. that's like forty miles away from Louisville. I wonder if he had a cameo in Elizabethtown, the movie, oh, that'd be starring fun. Orlando Bloom. That was Kirsten that Dunst. was definitely the true beginning of the end of it. Really was Cameron Crowe. What's really funny? Was. He was in one other thing. He was uh, he was in Will, the story of G. Gordon Liddy. Of course, of course <laughs> he was. Of course he was. <laughs> he was the young G. Gordon Liddy. Poor bastard. Yeah. <laughs> So, so in other words, he was a, he was just in The Shining. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. It was-